And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. As long as they keep on making animated Star Wars, Hope Molinax and Chris Honeywell will be on the case. Welcome to J-Guys and Jedi. A project that began with Clone Wars and now may never end. Hi everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Jagos and Jedi, a weekly podcast covering every episode of The Book of Boba Fett. In this episode, Boba Fett and Finnick Shan realize ruling Tatooine isn't as simple as they thought. There will be... Boba taking a lot of naps this week. We're talking about the Book of Boba Fett episode, Stranger in a Strange Land. How you doing, Chris? Good. You know? How you doing? I'm alright. Busy week, but, you know, getting by. Can't really complain about anything, so, except for, you know, well, this is not a complaint. It's a good thing. Andor is here. Oh, yes. Andor is here and it was so good and I fucking loved it and it was everything I wanted it to be and more. It was so good. <laughs> I'll just put it this way. It was it was more what I wanted it to be than I expected. Mm-hmm. So that in 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 one particular way that I've been sort of hoping for. Well how about this? Because we are gonna cover Andor eventually on the show. Give me your short first impressions and I'll give you my short first impressions. Well, I've been I've been really busy. So when the first 3 episodes dropped, I'm just like I only had time to watch the first episode. And to say I was underwhelmed w- was an understatement. I was like, okay, there was some trouble in this production or something. Something went wrong here. Something's going wrong here. Cuz this is not and uh, a premiere episode. I mean, the, the quality-wise, it's great, but like, and I don't want to say it was boring and not enough action, because you don't have to have fights or something. I but promise you, listeners, pe- this is about some, to get better because we talked about it beforehand. <laughs> some set pieces, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, and you know, something something if you if you're you're getting pulled into this this is the first show you're getting pulled into it they're introducing a lot of characters but something something to get you really excited about the show and it did it was just straight ahead just like world building you know for the interior world of the show and all the characters were strong. All the acting was strong. All the writing was strong. The cinematography was a little blander than the trailers led me to believe, but it wasn't bad. And in some places, it was really good. But and then and then it just sort of ends. You know, it just sort of like the story's going, and then it just sort of it's almost like the end of a reel on a movie, which when so the next day i went and and i was i was just very underwhelmed i'm like oh geez what are they thinking you know this isn't how you start out an episode especially after like 
how they started out the Mandalorian and as we'll talk about tonight, how they started out Book of Boba Fett. And um um but then I watched the second and third episode like right in a row, and then it all made sense. It's it, you know, it was the first first act in a three in a three three act you know story. Uh mind you, it doesn't have a lot of action in it and stuff. But by the time I got to, by the time I was in episode three, I was already invested in it. So I don't, you know, okay, fine. I, I you know, at the, at the, at this point, I'm invested in the series. So you, you, that's what you needed to do in the the first dip into it. I think they should have released it as a movie. I think it would have. I think it would have. Um. Um. For one, it's strong enough. And I'm sure people are going to just cut the three together, and but it's strong enough to where people won't won't go like with the Clone Wars movie where they where they wouldn't have as much they they'll say anything anyway, but they wouldn't have as much ground to stand on to say like, oh this is just you know they just they just slap the first three episodes of the show together. It's a coherent first, second, and third act in the three episodes. You know the. Yeah, I think the, the first and the third episode not, are 40 and I say that some lovingly. <laughs> the first and the last episode or the third episode are like 40 some minutes long and the other one's like a half hour long. You know, so it's like it obviously like was a half hour because it's like we're going to contain this this act in it. And if they would have cut it together, that would have been a good 2 hour movie. It would have been a, a, a like and you know next like I'm I'm almost of the like I almost want to take I I almost like when we do Andor want to do all three episodes at once because it's like it's it would be weird it would be like it's like breaking a uh, uh, movie up into three parts. Do you know how uh, long that podcast? Episode I know would that's be? that's why I that's I'd like to, but I don't think it would be unless a good we idea. unless we did it as a commentary. Unless we just did one show a month. <laughs> for I mean, unless dark. we did it as a like, or well, we did it as a commentary for that first one. Because oh yeah, yeah, that might be a good idea. That might be that might be. Well, we'll think about. It. We got some time to think about it. Because while we're still uh, on this point, like I agree with you. Um, I'm very famously on this podcast against them dropping multiple episodes as the first one. This is like my exception. And and same thing with the first episode of The Bad Batch. The first if episode they just of the dropped Bad... the first episode, it would have been dead in the water. That would have yeah. been the end of it. I, and and, and I feel the same way. I now, granted, I loved the first episode. I was fully invested. It was like I because you know, Rogue One's my favorite movie. So I was you're, like, Yeah, you you're you're way yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the first 10 minutes are just so gut-wrenching and beautiful and haunting and horrible. And I love everything in the first 10 minutes. And then like I love the world building and everything. So I was totally invested, but I 100 percent understand the criticism of the first episode on its own because it really does need the other two episodes to like really function. So I do get yeah. this criticism, even though like yeah. I was just like drinking it's, from it's, the golden fountain of Andor. It's not cut as an episode. It's it's not cut as an episode. It doesn't end on any kind of satisfying anything. It ends with everything hanging, but it doesn't hang leave on a cliffhanger. <laughs> the story's just proceeding and then it stops proceeding and the credits start rolling. So it's like. <sighs> now tell but, me everything you love about it. Uh, well, the thing I love. Well, for one, all the characters are good. I'm going to say this about Andor. 
except for Imperial characters, don't get too attached to anybody but Cassie. <laughs> that's what I, that's actually what like um Tony Gilroy said. A lot said. of people there's just gonna be, you know That's what anybody Tony Gilroy that, said. Yeah, yeah. Just don't get attached to anybody because this is I have a feeling this is gonna be about how Cassie and and, and I think it's gonna be one of those things where, you know, like um you know, he's not the most likable character in the world. He's not like somebody you you don't like, but he's like he's just had he, I mean, he's he's someone who's had a traumatic life and like yeah, he'll just he'll just shoot somebody in the face, you know, See, in the moment. That's and, actually one of my favorite things about Andor is that no one's fully good. Even characters yeah, but, like Bix and Marva are doing some shady things. And I love oh, that yeah. about it because good people can do bad things. And this is yeah. that show. Because, yeah, like, yeah. like I, I've been seeing a lot of conversation around Marva. And, like, while she probably had every good intention in the world and probably did save Cassian's life, she's the reason he's separated from his sister and got displaced. <laughs> like, right, right. Which is right. shady, but she had good intentions. And, like, that's... There's no right answer to that, and that's why I like it because it really makes you think about it. Well, I I, I think I I, I like it too, but I think the problem, and he's an excellent actor too, which is on top of it, you know, it's like, you know, this is it's it's I I wouldn't say he's as good as like you and McGregor, who's been around a lot longer, but he's a he's a he's a you know, somebody's gonna put him in a movie one day where he'll probably win an Oscar or something because he's a good actor and. But I think a lot of people want to have some they, they, they want to have somebody they can grab onto and identify with, you know. They want they, they want the main character to be somebody that they like identify and completely sympathize with. And it's gonna be hard with this guy. And like me, I have no problem with it because I don't need I'm... to I don't I don't need to stick myself into it. You know, I, I'm I'm myself what, what okay, so I, I'm gonna raise I, you, I'm I'm gonna raise you a um a counterpoint. Um I like I hear you, but I also highly recommend going and looking at like Latino fans because they are very much celebrating a lot of the discussion around this and like how this is like their family's like shared experiences or how like they have heard stories, if it's not them, it's their friends, of like kind of like what happens when you're displaced or um or just like the, like, there's one line in the opening 10 minutes when the two guards are holding Cassian at gunpoint. And they say, oh, did you swim over? And there, I read this beautiful thread from um, a Mexican fan. And she was like, this is horrific. Because, like, this is, like, a common thing with pe- my with pe- people from my, my, oh, yeah. my country. And she was like, it's so amazing to see this in a Star Wars because this is a lot of people's lived experiences. And the fact that like people are, are going to get to see this. So it might not be everyone's I, experience, but I'm here for that because it's 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 a story that's needing to be told. I worked in a Mexican restaurant and my boss was I mean, he was born he was born in Texas, but is, you know, right on the border. His mother was born in Mexico and he looked like Pancho Villa. He was an imposing guy, friendly, you know, really nice guy. Um, but imposing looking. And he always wore a white t-shirt and suspenders, mustache, and just like big, big, 
big in a kind of fat way, <laughs> but imposing, you know, if he a scowl, he could do a scowl and stuff. And working at that restaurant, I cannot tell you how many times, including someone who was like a friend of mine, all had to like either joking, not joking or saying so had to say something sort of to that effect and like use the, the word wetback. Like how many times I heard people like try to joke with him about stuff like that, that it was just I, I remember after the first time, I'm like, Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> why would how 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 do they think that that's smart to say it to this guy? Like it would be people, it would be customers and stuff, you know, what, what does oh, that the, mean? Wetback. Yeah, what does that right, mean? It was. It, it's a slur for Mexicans. Um, <gasps> say, yeah, just coming across. Did you just swim across the river? Oh, you know? yeah. Holy yeah, yeah, shit! Yeah. And I mean, I mean, like people, people like, and I'm sure those people wouldn't have been dropping hard, hard R N words in front of black people. They would have been horrified to do that, you know. But they thought that it wasn't. They thought it wasn't something that like would make him feel bad or that would just be funny, you know? And that was, and like, I, it was just amazing, you know, but yeah, it's it's amazing in a horrible way. I think, I think the, 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 the best thing about like his role is a, it's not a, an evil, he's not playing a criminal. Well, he is playing a criminal, but he's playing but the right kind of criminal. Everyone's right. a criminal in this world, though. Right, right. No, all our heroes in Star Wars have been criminals. So he's playing the right kind of criminal, but he's play he's not playing a romanticized character. They're not like, oh, we'll put a Hispanic character in here and and romant you know, there'll be this, you know, perfect, you know, that you know that no he's he's a he's a complex you know gray, as you say gray character and so you know it's it's a meaty role and it's a and it's you know he's going to carry he's going to carry the load of this this whole show so but what really made me happy was you know how me I've wanted that show that's like sort of like and this isn't quite there but it's get it maybe it'll get there maybe it'll be there but like that like here's what's happening with the good guys here's what's happening with the imperials so you get it like this one gave me so much great inner workings of the imperials at the lower levels they're not even and like really technically imperials because I, I was writing about that this the week. Corporate imperials. They're they're, the, they're, they're essentially the mall cops. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah well, you can see by their outfits and stuff and who they and who, and they're all they're all third tier. And he, we're gonna watch Cassian, like, you know, Darth Vader might show up in this, you know, <laughs> um. Because Cassian's probably going to just be, you know, probably invoking the ire of, you know, higher level and higher level Imperials as time goes on, you know. So I'm I'm liking that. So we might get to see like a step. These guys remind me of, have you ever watched A Clockwork Orange? They remind no. me of cops in Clockwork Orange. Just fat, sweaty, dumb, um very yes sir you know respectful the, the 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 that one the one cop who said shit is is golden 
but they're all they're they're keystone cops they're all doofuses they all don't know you know it was all summed up by cassian saying like yeah they're so arrogant you they, they didn't they, they just don't think somebody's gonna walk sneak into their place and and steal their their shit you know mm-hmm. but he didn't say shit they only said shit once but um, but I love that aspect of it. And A, all the acting is really good and all the characters are really good. So I know we met like a lot of characters and like, you know, any of them are. And I love the robot. The robot is mwah, 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 good Star Wars robot. Just mm-hmm. his he's established his personality and it's and it's it's fun to see an R2 unit type sort of more r2 style robot that talks that's a little weird so i like You're gonna it hate I, this i saw so many people being like oh he's like dio from trust <laughs> i don't even remember that stupid thing's name it was so like uh, so nothing of a of a character it was so obviously like a, a ploy for affection and attention from jj I'm so, sad robot, love me. I'm JJ, a sad robot, love me in my crappy movie. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I liked it. My Did you quick like first, it, Hope? I, I didn't like it, Chris. I fucking loved it. <laughs> it was everything I wanted it to be and more. I, oh, ho, 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 ho. So good. <laughs> Just so a very quick rundown of just some of the basic things I loved about it. Um, one is, like I said, I love that they're like no one's fully good. Like, like the uh, scrapper friend of Cassian's, like he's just jolly and he's like, yeah, I'll cover for you and stuff like that. And he puts a toe on a ship and fucking kills a man. And he, then he like sits in the bar afterwards, like drinking, like it's stuff like that. And it's like boots on the ground, real world, like, fascism invading and i i love the cops um cyril karn who is the like the lead guy his writing and his actor are both so good that i left the episode wanting to punch him in the face so bad he's he's and and like he's the worst kind he's like a he's like a true believer but he's just a low he's a fucking hall monitor I, but I can't he's remember like who's at the fascist it. hall monitor, you know, yeah. and he looks like Kyle McLaughlin from Twin Peaks. I can't remember so. which of my friends on Twitter said this this week, but he said, um, or may- maybe it was, maybe it was Arzu, or I can't, or or, or Ben. They said because I can't remember who said it. Um, they said that Cyril Karn would tell would call free samples theft, which was like the perfect summary of him. Yeah. <laughs> But like, yeah, like what I loved about it is how it showed just like the layers. And I hope I can't wait for his comeuppance. Like, I do not want this man redeemed. And I'm what waiting, I love about I'm, oh no, they're not going to redeem him. They've already per- there's they've portrayed. Well, maybe they will just to trick us. But well, like, well, he's I mean, thing. he's a piece we know, of shit. We know the empire's coming, <laughs> and because the empire's in the trailers, like because there's a the lady in like a white imperial suit. I want right. her to walk in, look at him, and like be like, "You can leave now. You're useless." I'm like, yeah, just no, put him in good, his place. I I guess they're going to be foils, or they're both. They're going to be the two main pro, or antagonists. But like, the, they set him up at first. You're like, "Ooh, this guy might be the guy to watch because 
and he might be the guy to be watching the Imperials because he might be an up and comer. And I'm like, Ooh, this like, you know, the one guy brushes it off and go, ah, you know, they push the wrong person the wrong way. And he doesn't want to, you know, he just, he's lazy and he does not want to. Well, he wants to, uh, he, he doesn't want to like, I don't think it's lazy. Cause I think waves. It's, he doesn't want, yeah, yeah. yeah, anyway. yeah I, I don't think... anyway, he, he's, he gets all upset and he's like, I've got to solve this crime. And I'm like, oh, maybe this guy's going to be like, you know, like a mini Thrawn. And he's, you were going to see how he rises up by like solving the crime. No, he just pushes it off onto his underlings and, 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 and then just like takes credit and it sets it. And then you just find out this guy is just a, a, a faker weasel. But you, and that, but and that's you know what? what? About they him. do well in the, they do well in the empire. So he might be an up and comer, but he's just, he's well, got no, he's got nothing. He's, he's yeah, got yeah. nothing. That's why I love the scene where he has to give the speech because he clearly does not have the respect of the men under him. Yes. And like, yeah. and he completely flounders under power. And that like, he, that to me was like one of his turning points of where he's yeah. just going to like double down into evil. Cause he's just like, he I don't talk a good game, but when it comes down to it, somebody else has got to do it and stuff. Yeah. He but did okay I, when he was alone with the like one guy and like was just like, I think we should do that. I I agree with you, sir. You know that sort of thing. Mm. Very British, very British episode, very British show so far. <laughs> At I, least on um, I I but I also love how like political it is in a lot of ways. Like this is a very political Star Wars. It's not trying to like hide it in like the mythology of Sith and Jedi. Like no, it is straight up politics top to bottom and and because it's about the people who got are left behind in the system and how they have to survive and it's a sad tragic story of pretty much what happens in our real world all the time and oh it was so good i love the world building i love ferrix i love the flashbacks with cassian i love i i'm very excited to see what happens with Mon Mothma? Because um, she's in tomorrow's episode, so we haven't seen episode four by the time this comes out. Um, to see that side of things, um, and I think like Mon Mothma is going to show like a very different side of the universe, and I'm so yeah. excited for it. This and- isn't going to be a show where if you want to have like a lot of triumphant moments where you're pumping your fist in the air, this is not going to be the show. It's set in the time yeah. where the the Empire is is firmly clamped in there and so it's really going to be a bunch of strategic losses <laughs> and and a um, lot of characters just going into the grinder so you know and I, I think my favorite part of it too was um i was reading earlier this week that tony gilroy was not a star wars fan like he liked the movies growing up but he he wasn't a fanboy like john favreau or dave filoni and you can tell oh you can tell Because there is um, there are moments while I was watching the first three episodes, I forgot I was watching a Star Wars until like a ship showed up and I was like, oh, yeah, this is a Star Wars. Yeah, sometimes like a Star Wars. That's what that's one of the things that really like turned me off by just watching the first episode is I'm watching it and I'm like all this setup and stuff. This is this is very much like a million other movies and uh, maybe more like TV shows, you know? And I was like, but it's set in star Wars, but it's not significantly different in story wise and something that would be set up on a show just about like, you know, the, the, 
the French resistance, you know, the Hungarian resistance underground in World War II or something like that. It would not be, it would be very similar. And like, it doesn't even look to you. And, and I was just like, you know, what is going to make this and what's going to make it Star Wars is, is the empire. And that was before really the empire was show was, was figuring into it a lot in, in that first episode. And, uh, yeah, so it didn't feel very Star Warsy. but if you watch them all like in a row by the second episode, it's feeling very Star Warsy because you've got Imperials. But what's actually kind of interesting, and and I, I guess I should clarify this more, I get like the clarification is it didn't feel like a Star Wars show or movie. It very much feels like a Star Wars book. Like these are the kind of stories that they've been mm, talking in the book. Yeah. Where yeah. it's about the like the gritty underground everyday people, not like the that. big space works wizards, and it, it well, feels also like in that. A, books aren't a visual medium either. Like I mean, yeah. they can have that stuff happening in them, but it's not Star Wars. Like a lot of the visual stuff has to do with the the style of Star Wars. And if you're reading the book, I guess you could sort of picture it in that style. And if it was written really well enough, but yeah, so the books have to like like books do like most like focus on characters and so they're they're better suited towards doing that and yeah i i like i had a little revelation the other day where i i'm not really afraid of disney like canceling too many star wars shows once they start production of them because i think like disney might have might get it and other people will get it but in the streaming world if you do a sh- if you do a show and even if it's not very good if you leave if you have it and it's just sitting there forever eventually somebody you know there's going to be an audience for it and so- somebody will say hey what about you you know this and like so you if you do all these star wars shows and you have you'll have this whole just like marvel you'll have this whole universe sort of sitting there with interlocking stories waiting for people to you know waiting for ebbs and flows of people getting into it. You know, all of a sudden a bunch of people might get into one of the movies and then they, you see them watching all the Marvel movies, you know, and there'll be a trend of like people are, are, you know, 10 year old kids are discovering the Marvel movies and watching all of them now, you know? And so I think, you know, when you're making that stuff, it's just like get the content on there, you know, and and if you make it good, it's going to have stronger legs. So they're like, obviously, a lot of it, it seems like with the most streaming shows, they're trying to make something good, you know, even when they fail, they're trying to, like, put some sort of quality into it. I'm sure there's there's a lot of stuff that's really garbage that I I don't ever see. But like the big the big ones. Yeah. So, I uh, so like I have a feeling that Andor will get to play out. What was it? Three seasons that they had two. planned for it's it. Gonna, it's gonna be two seasons. Two seasons. Okay, so I'm sure it's gonna play out. You know. Mm-hmm. But, um, I I loved it. Yeah, I I am so excited, and I'm ready for Mon Mothma and to return to Coruscant. So I'm very ready. Even for if it, so. even if I didn't like it, I would be excited because of the sheer volume of uh, fodder it is for a. It's a it's a made for J guys and Jedi show, made mm-hmm. for J guys and Jedi analysis. So, 
obviously you just blabbed about it for a half hour (laughs) i know i know this was supposed to be our short first impressions (laughs) it is (laughs) wait till you hear wait till you get to episode one of of andor I don't know. That might be a short show if we only do the if we do the commentary. <laughs> It'll still be a two hour show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway. So, Book of Boba Fett. Book of Boba Fett. What did you think of this episode? I liked it a lot. I I really liked it the first time I saw it, and I liked it a bit more the second time I saw it. I liked it better the second time um i remember i did like it the first time i thought it was a strong start but now like knowing where the season is going like i could see a lot more of the setup and stuff like that so i did really enjoy it on the second time um and one of the things i I like is how it's not like fully experimental but it's trying new things which is which i'm always here for i'm always here for star wars trying new things Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. and I, I, I'm ready for the show to get kind of weird and wacky, so. Uh, well, you ready to get into this? I'm ready. Let me take a drink. Uh, oh, all right. Drink it up. Oh, boy. Here we go. And, of course, it's the first episode, so there's a lot of background information. So, here we go. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Like, the burp got stuck in my throat. <clears> there we go. Stranger in a Strange Land is the first episode of Book of Boba Fett. It aired on December 29th, 2021, and was written by John Favreau and directed by Robert Rodriguez. Some extra information for you. 8D8 is voiced by Matt Berry. His other works include Disenchantment, The IT Crowd, and What We Do in the Shadows. Moksha's Major Domo is played by David Pasquezzi. His other works include Veep, Lodge 49, and most recently, he appeared in She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. Garza Whip is played by Jennifer Beals. Her other works include Flashdance, The L Word, and, and Swamp Thing. The Tuscan Chief is played by Xavier Jimenez. His other works include Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he was one of the Tuscans in the Mandalorian episode, The Marshal. The Tuscan Warrior is played by Joanna Bennett. She is actually a stunt woman by trade, and she has done stunts for Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman, Stargirl, and Aquaman. The Tuscan Kid is played by Wesley Kimmel. His other works include One Division and Jimmy Kimmel Live. He is also Jimmy. Uh, also, Jimmy Kimmel is his uncle. The Aquilish Man, who I was not going to include until I looked it up, and he's in like four episodes, so I was like, I guess I should include you. The and this name sucks. I'm gonna do the best I can. The Aquilish man Garfalaquax is played by Barry Lowen, who is one of Pedro Pascal's stunt doubles in The Mandalorian. The Trandoshan leader Doc Strassi is performed by Stephen O. Young and is voiced by Robert Rodriguez. This was this next one's a little bit crazy. The Gamorian guards are played by Frank Triggs and Colin Himes. One insane crazy thing and that's just incredibly sad as well and i saw this and i was shocked i found out about colin himes he was in the mass shooting at borderline bar and grill in california in 2018 he was shot in the neck and knee and survived to make a full recovery and continue acting jesus i'm not gonna watch like a guard the same ever again <laughs> right like I, when I read that, I was like, holy shit. Like, it's how, like his life is this show. <laughs> how admirable is that to not only be able to survive like an incredibly horrific. And then, like, and I went and I was reading about it afterwards. 
Well, I'm sure there was like lots of like rehab to get back to to do physical acting. Yeah. And like, he's, he's a buff guy. Like he's, he's a big old guy. And I was reading one report that after he was shot, he was trying to go back in to help people. And he was like bleeding out of his neck. And I'm like, holy cow. For one, that's really sad that this is our fucking country that we live in. But it's also so admirable that he survived a mass shooting and made a full recover- recovery and is acting in Book of Boba Fett. Like, that's amazing. And I, I just have all the respect. Uh, to continue on, Garza Flip's Twilight servers are played by Marlon Aquino and Andrea, Andrea Bartlow. And to get into all the other stuff, series director, series executive producer John Favreau originally approached Robert Rodriguez to direct the important episode of of Boba Fett in The Mandalorian because he loved Rodriguez's interpretation of the character. He also decided to pitch Rodriguez and the studio the idea of creating more episodes centering around the character. Although Rodriguez usually avoids franchises, that changed with Boba, as Rodriguez felt that he was an underdeveloped character, and this was as if he was doing an original character that Rodriguez could expand upon. Kathleen Kennedy originally teased Book of Boba Fett as, quote-unquote, the next chapter of The Mandalorian, something that Jon Favreau later clarified that they were actually two separate shows. The only reason I put that note in there is because one of my ongoing notes as we go through this show is Book of Boba Fett is essentially Mando 2.5. It, yeah, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> not completely untrue what she said. <laughs> I, I, I see it like Game of Thrones. Like, you'll I, have, like, one season in Dorne, and then, like, the next season in The Wall. And, like, it's all still the same thing, but there's completely different characters going it's on. just different characters in a different place, yeah. Yeah, I, I very much see it like Game, like Game of Thrones. Uh, Ludwig Gorison came, uh, created the themes for the show with Joseph Shirley doing the score for the series. And finally, Screen Rant did a wonderful article about the creation of the Tuscan Sign Language and how it continued from The Mandalorian into Book of Boba Fett. It said, Academy Award-winning actor Troy Kotzer was instrumental in creating the sign language used by the Tuscan readers in The Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett. Kotzer explained that he wanted the Tuscan sign language to be something quite different from American sign language. Kotzer originally appeared as the Tuscan Raider in the Mandalorian season two episode, but was later credited in the spinoff show as the Tuscan sign language creator. And I thought I had put it in here and I didn't. Something that he did was he studied a lot of early cultures of people who were like nomadic from like desert areas. And so Mm -hmm. he developed the sign language of like, how would people talk with, like with sand around them? How would they talk in motion in these harsher conditions? So he did a lot of research on, in these kinds of cultures and formed the sound, sound, sign language about what it would mean like in a rocky desert dry place and how it would differ. And so it was a really interesting article. So I really enjoyed reading it. So I totally thought I put it in the paragraph and I didn't. It's fine. Uh, hey, Yoda, what's up? <laughs> I don't have- Wake up, Yoda! What? Yoda had a little nap earlier. Just like Boba Fett, he naps a lot in this episode. Yes, Yoda not hit on the head this time, though. (laughs) That is very true. He was very concussed this episode, too. (laughs) Mm, Sleep. Mm Mm-hmm. We have a new show! Welcome! Mm. Are you ready? Nice show. No Grogu, no Yaddle. Yeah. Yaddle free, Grogu free. 
Yeah, at Good least. Show. Good show. Chris, no don't... Yoda, but okay. Chris, don't Yoda tell him. Not... Chris, don't tell him that Grogu shows up later. <sighs> no, I didn't say anything, Yoda. I said that, yeah, it's a Grogu free show. No Grogu and Boba Fett. Not what? at all. I wouldn't no. lie to you. No, no. Cannot lie to Yoda. No, not absolutely not. Yoda and... knows, but Yoda did just wake up. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we should absolutely change the conversation away how Grogu is not actually in the show. No, Grogu. Oh, no, Goo. <laughs> you know, Yoda, I had a question for you. Question for Yoda, yes. So, you are, of course, a Jedi. You are a peacekeeper for the Order, and you need to cherish creatures of all kinds. And in this episode, Boba very violently had to get out the Sarlacc pit. And I, and I was wondering, how would a Jedi like you peacefully get out of the Sarlacc pit, pit, or would you just bust on out of there with your lightsaber? Many many Jedi, when having some space beer, will discuss getting out of Sarlacc pit. Much like humans on Earth discuss zombie apocalypse. So Yoda has plan. Oh, really? What's the plan? Yes, Yoda's species can secrete protective gas. Yes, very smelly gas. You know, that's very... People go away. That's so Yoda very would, on brand for you. Yoda would start to gas and gas and gas in the Sarlacc. And if Sarlacc did not puke up Yoda, then Yoda would just strike a match and shoot out like a cannonball. <laughs> Force land on one knee. Yes. Superhero That's what landing. Yoda used to say. When he was juiced up with the other Jedi's. Now I'm just imagining you filling the High Council chamber and just lighting a match and just shooting yourself out of there. Mace Windu said he would just swear <laughs> until he could get out. Well, he can officially now say the word shit in Star Wars. Yeah, shit, shit, shit. Yoda could not say that before. Now he can say it all the shit time. <laughs> I will say I say Yoda shit. Yoda is very shitting happy. Mm, new word I, for Yoda. I do say the word shit in my fanfic, so I did feel very validated by that. <laughs> poodoo, poodoo, poodoo. Shit. Yes. <laughs> Well, you go have fun swearing up a storm. Yoda's going to go shit. Bye, Yoda. Wow, he's like a little kid. We absolutely need to somehow figure out how to ease him back into Grogu being in the show. Mm -hmm. He'll oh, find out. He'll find out. I don't know how cognitively continuous Yoda's train of thought is, so like yeah, you know, he might see Grogu one week and he might just be not even know the next week He, I don't even know if he knows what show he's he's in talking about from week to week I, I, I honestly think what's going to happen is Grogu's just going to come back to his trailer like he never left and I, it's just going to be how it is 
He'll just think we're doing the Mandalorian, and you know. Yeah. Know, I think he. I think he just reacts to a few trigger words that that make him think of something, and just reacts to those. I don't th- think he has a real like solid train of thought. Yeah. And I would know about that. <laughs> Same. Anyway, you ready to get into this episode? I am. I gotta remember, like. Where what I wrote? <laughs> well, luckily you wrote it all down in a, in a in a document. So I did, I did, and here we go. Act one. <laughs> uh, although I, I, it would be fun to tell the listeners that you memorize all, all of your all of your synopses. And in... yes, listeners, I am that good. I memorize all of these synopses. And the Volutions, too. She memorizes those. She works for a month on those, memorizing them. Yes, I am that talented, and there is a reason I was a theater major, and I promise it was for (laughs) acting. It was not for acting. It was for line memorization. I have a horror story of, like, being in a Shakespeare play, and I fucking just straight up forgot one of my lines. And the actor, like, across from me was, like, holding me on the shoulders. And I was just staring at her, like, I don't fucking know what to say. I'm so sorry. I was in a play. I was in a play once with the, I was having dialogue with this one guy. And he's doing his lines fine. And then he just stopped and stared and stared and stared. And you heard the audience started. And he just goes, ah. And puts his head down, and like it's all over now. And I had to just sort of fake through the the next scene and get him off the stage. But it, he just gave yes. up. This was like, I I give up. I'm gonna wait till the hook comes out. Mm. There is absolutely no worse feeling than standing in front of a full house full of hundreds of people on a stage under hot lights and, and not remembering your lines. Yeah. Like and just that's flat the dues out. we pay in showbiz. Hope the dues oh, we pay. It's such hey. a hor- that's why I started working tech because I just I it was a horrible feeling and I hated it. So well, it's so much, much better in in podcasts because when you whiff it on podcasts and that that episode sits there forever and ever and ever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Act One. Act One. Don't whiff it. We open. <laughs> Thanks. We open. <laughs> 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 we Psychological open torture, ladies and gentlemen. In a brand new show. Not really a new era. It's like a continuation of the last show. Like nothing happened. And we are in Jabba the Hutt's ex-palace because now it belongs to Boba Fett and you know what Boba Fett is doing what any king of Tatooine should be doing he is taking a nappy nap because he worked hard and he's tired and in his nappy nap we get to see his dreams and we go to Camino and we see the fire spray in the background and all the waves and then we see like on Geonosis after Django was killed and baby Boba's just like, my daddy's dead and he's all sad. But then we go to another flashback and Boba Fett wakes up and he is in 
the Sarlacc pit. And he has this moment of just like, oh fuck, I'm in a tentacle hentai. Holy shit. And he's like, starts like kind of swimming through the Sarlacc. And I've seen this hentai before. It's very much like this. And he sees a dead body. And he pulls out the air thing from the, the stormtrooper dead body. And he gives himself some air because he can't breathe down there. And then he pulls out. And I hear Charles scream in the background, a flamethrower. And he flamethrowers his way through the Sarlacc. And apparently after that, digs through the sand. And he pops out of his hand like like, uh, uh, like a zombie. And he's all just like, I'm Bubba Fett. And he climbs out. And he's all goopy and sandy. And he's just like, I'm so tired. So past Boba Fett also takes a nappy nap. And he passes out. And then the Jawas come. And the Jawas are just like, look, a dead guy. Let's scrap his body. I wonder what would happen if we took this and found a very hot guy named Cobb Vanth who has a future boyfriend named uh, Din Djarin. And they're going to be very happy. We need this armor. So let's take it. Bye. And they leave Boba Fett to die more. And then the Tuscans come, and they, they're like, hey, look, a dead guy. And they kind of poke Boba, and Boba wakes up, and he's just like, people are poking me. And they're like, ah, he's alive, kill it. And they smack him in the head, and they knock him out. No, they don't, they don't knock him out, because I read my next line, because I have this memorized. <laughs> um, the Tuscans tie up his hands, wake him up, and then he's just like, I'm awake now, oh god, I'm captured. And they hook him up to a bantha, and they start walking across the desert. And so they're walking, and they walk some more. And then Boba's like, I'm tired. And he falls over, and he takes another nap. And the, the Tuscans are like, well, that's fine. And they drag his sleeping Boba all the way to their home. And for a change of pace, he's napping in a new location because he's tied up to a post. And he wakes up from his nap and he realizes he's all tied up. And this is when his very future friend, but right now he's not his future friend, the Tuscan boy comes over. And I really wish they had names because their names are actually just Tuscan chief, Tuscan warrior, and Tuscan boy. So I wish they had names. Um, and the Tuscan boy is like, hi, I'm your future friend. And Boba's like, that's cool. So are you going to let me go? And the Boba's like, nope, these are all my friends. And then all the kids start beating the crap out of Boba. Because they can. And they kind of just kick at him. And in the background, we see the chief and the warrior. We're watching a bunch of children beat the crap out of Boba Fett. And they're just kind of fine with this, drinking their little pods and just watching. Wow. Later on that night. Bobo wakes up, and it's nighttime, and there's another captor beside him, and it's a Rodian. And the Rodian just has this look on, on his face, and he's just like, what is my life? And also across from him is one of the sweet little lizard doggos, and the lizard doggo is just like, hey, what you doing? I'm gonna eat your face if you try to escape. And Bobo's like, don't eat my face. I'm doing nothing shady as I untie my own ropes and trying to get out of here. And the doggo's like, Really? I'm gonna get you! And he's coming over, and he's like, I'm a doggo! And Boba's like, I'm sorry about this, because you're really cute, and I hate to do this. And Boba is free enough, and he knocks out the doggo, and the doggo's like, ow, my face! And he frees himself. But then, out of everything, 
that Rodian, who is also captured and can clearly understand Boba, because we know this later in the episode, instead of getting away, he fucking snitches on Boba. And, like, what is that gonna do to, for, to help either of them in this situation? And so the Rodian is screaming, the doggos are awake, all the Tuscans are waking up, and so Boba runs out to the desert. And, but there, but there is one moment, because the first person that runs over the Boba is the Tuscan boy. And Boba takes his gaffy stick, and the Tuscan boy's like, don't hit me like I hit you earlier. And you know what? Boba doesn't. He puts, to, he takes the stick and he runs and he lets the Tuscan boy go. The reason I say this is because the camera then pans around on the boy. Like, he's kind of realizing this too. Like, huh, that man had every chance to kill me and he didn't. Maybe that will be important in Act 3. Anyway, what transpires next would probably be fantastic to watch. But this is a Star Wars live action show being filmed at night. Which means you can't see a goddamn thing! It is so fucking dark, and all the Tuscans are in dark clothes. You can't see what the hell is going on, and it pisses me off. Anyway, what I think happens in the darkness is Boba is running, and the dog goes like, I'm gonna get you! And he, and he jumps up, and he's like, I gotcha! And he catches Boba Fett, and Boba Fett's like, down, doggo! And he, like, kind of pushes him away. But then the chief and the warriors show up, and they're like, "Come here, doggo! I can't. Oh, can't whistle. Like, oh, I can't whistle. Imagine someone whistling for a dog. Whistle, whistle. And the dog's like, I got him, Dad and Mom. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, just like that. And the dog is like, Look, look, I got him. Isn't I? Aren't I a good doggo? And they're like, Yeah, you're a really good doggo. Anyway, the warrior is like, Hey. What's up, Boba? And he's like, hi, can I escape? And she's like, nah, I'm gonna fight you now. And he's like, oh, come on, lady. And anyway, long story short, she beats the shit out of Boba Fett. And he's just like, well, I guess I'm gonna take another nap now. The end for act one. <laughs> because then he wakes up and other stuff happens. So. A lot of these naps, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're not really naps they're, say, they, they, they're preceded by a blow to the head yeah they're not naps they're concussions but nap sounds nicer yes you can still see some of the when he's getting out of the back to you can still see some of the key divots on his head. <laughs> key naps on his head <laughs> uh, he calls the his scars naps. those scars is nap diary <laughs> I see you've noticed my nap diary the diary the of a nappy kid and now that it's did, the only way I can get to sleep. <laughs> that that came out wrong. I've hired a Wookiee to put me to sleep every night. He just bashes me in the cranium. I'm glad you were you were talking because I don't think anybody should have heard what I just said. Oh, good. I <laughs> I, didn't. I I said because uh you know you know the book series The Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Yes. I said the diary of a nappy kid, and then I was like, wait, that came out wrong because nappy is. <laughs> Not what I mean for it to be. <laughs> anyway, and also Boba doesn't have hair. He specifically does not have black hair. Anyway, moving yeah. on. What do you think of Act One? Well, I'm uh, floundering over here, dude. Please save me. Yes. Uh, uh, all right. <laughs> um, 
right from the start, we have a little like this whole like montage and it's like this. It's almost taunting me in a good way because it's a montage. Almost some of the stuff is like that's something I wanted to see, which are were like shots from like, you know, um, the 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 clone central and stuff, you know, from episode two stuff. But like tattooing Boba Fett before the Mandalorian, the end of season two, I didn't want I like if this would have been what I was seeing of like, OK, this is the new book of Boba Fett show about Boba Fett. Let's see what it is. I would have been like, no, not tattooing. I don't care about Boba Fett. And it's funny because now I'm psyched about all I'm psyched to be on tattooing even. Right. So like it's like all the stuff I didn't want to see and but now I'm going to love it. So I, I, I actually have a note kind of in that ballpark. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and slide in right past if that's OK. Um, I love those first flashbacks, too, for two reasons, because young Boba is a very important part of older Boba. It's, of course, his past and having like Camino and his dad's helmet um, it are showing like two very important parts of his life. And we know from the Mandalorian that he's wearing his father's armor. So it does have like a legacy there. And then the other reason I like it is it helps connect the prequel era into this almost sequel era. Like technically we're in the sequel era, but we're not quite there yet. And I just like having that connective bridge and like having that tissue through the character. I, well, yeah, I, I and really like that. And I, and I think they used footage from episode two. They had, yeah, they a much, much better effect than like Obi-Wan did you know, which used it just sort of as like last time on Obi-Wan. And it was, oh, that, okay. That was episode two and three <laughs> It was last time on Obi-Wan. But like, you know, where they have to show the flashbacks that like, so the, the flashbacks usually have something, you know, they show them because they're going to have some relate to something in the story, but this just uses them very organically. And it's, it's really nice. Um, what one of the things I noticed, just like the first episode of The Mandalorian, nine minutes before there's any like I'm not counting like any kind of Tuscan, you know, com like dialogue between them, you know, any kind of communication talking between two people. Nine minutes. Of I just have that pure visual storytelling. I have that line, that note too. Like it, it very much feels like a lot of ways, like to, to the Mandalorian episode, the child where it's just pure storytelling and there's no dialogue. And I absolutely love that too. Well, Robert Rodriguez, I mean, that's his forte is visual storytelling. So he's doing it, you know, so he's mm -hmm. doing his thing. I mean, the combination of Rodriguez and John Favreau as a writer is a is a good combination on this you can see you can see how they're both like sort of like working in are are familiar what the other one's gonna do and and how they would do it and stuff so it's ju it's just very very f tight and well written and presented and all my other notes are uh pretty pretty um <clears throat> shallow and visual i love the rubber sar sarlacc 
I love that they didn't CG it all up. It's it's back to Return of the Jedi Sarlacc and not special edition Sarlacc. Um, I love that he's just inside a, a rubber set. It's it's very nice. It's also it's also sort of a nice little uh, pre- premonition of uh, Nope. If anybody's seen Nope, I want to see it so bad. Mm. It's on well, my it's list. Up. Um, the, the I I love the scene where they're they're dragging it where they they have him behind the banthas and they're walking him through the sand. It reminds me of like the third Evil Dead movie, and, and then when he falls down and they drag him into the they drag him all the way back to the camp. He's got some. He must have some like insane coveralls. His Boba Fett coveralls must be as tough as his armor because. Usually, just getting dragged through the sand is sand is sandpaper. So he got basically, and he's wait, wait. you know. Are you saying it's coarse and it gets everywhere? It is. It. it I hate it. <laughs> and uh, he he would like basically a guy like he would have been just like if you pass out in the sand, getting dragged through the desert, you're just gonna you're gonna get like just ground away. It just a slow motion version of being dragged behind a car, but like he just he's got tough coveralls because he's just, like his clothing isn't even like ripped. And uh, <laughs> can I talk oh. about his coveralls? I have a note about them. Really? Okay. Well, okay. I mean, that would be the time to do it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love and hate them because they look like a giant onesie. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it makes me laugh. <laughs> Because he looks I like he's think just... in Star Wars, since so many people are basically astronauts, that they would also almost have to have some, like the onesies would be like almost like the Air Force pressure. You would almost have to have kind of a pressure suit underneath for the times when you go into the atmosphere and you're gonna encounter G force and stuff like that. So a yeah. lot of people are probably walking around in little onesie, little goofy onesies, like little toddling babies. But. It reminds me of a giant onesie, and then it got me thinking of, like, do all Mandalorians wear this? Like, when Bo-Katan or Sabine or Den takes off their armor, are they it's just like running around? It's like their Mormon in... underwear. Are they just <laughs> running around in little onesies? <laughs> like, I probably. Love yeah, I love probably. the thought of, like, Ezra accidentally, like, walking into Sabine's room, and she's just in her onesie, and she's like, get out! <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, it's like Kanan, I saw Sabine in her onesie, and Kanan's like, oh no. <laughs> like, I just love the thought of all Mandos having a giant onesie on under their badass armor. Because <laughs> I I really like that costume, but I also really hate it at the exact same time. <laughs> so I that's mean, my it, it would almost make sense that they'd be wearing a diaper, right? It kind of it's kind of frumpy like a diaper. It looks like yeah, well, maybe I, there might be a little diaper work going on in there, you know. I, I, it's, oh, I don't know yeah. how it works in the Star Wars biology. Like when, when thing, like I, I, I understand the, I understand the practicality of it, but I also like really hate it in a lot of ways. But I also kind of love it, so I don't. Know, I like I'm the idea talking. of them going to like the space privy and like reaching behind and like hitting a button on their lower back, and it just sort of goes, and the hatch opens up. <laughs> steam and smoke coming out. Yeah, the rest, that's rest, that's, that's my very bad news. Yeah, 
That's my very important onesie note. Continue. I only have one more note, and I just looked at it, and it looked like in my my chicken scratch handwriting, it looked like it says Tuscan teats. And I'm like, (laughs) what am I talking about? What the hell am I talking about? But it's actually Tuscan tests. He's he's like, like I'm almost thinking that the Rodian, like what my my, what what I was thinking when when because you're like because when you were like why is he what does he think he's gonna gain by ratting out Boba Fett, and I thought the same thing, but then I started thinking, maybe this guy like. You know, he's been on ta- ta- he's like a business guy on tattooing and they're like, look, if you ever get and God help you, if you ever get, you know, it's like when people like give you advice about like if you run into a bear in the woods and like, all right, if you make it make yourself as big as po- first, just try to like walk away and then make yourself as big and loud as possible and then play dead, you know, and never climb a tree. And someone said, look, if the. If, if by some bad luck you end up being taken prisoner by the Tuscans, your only hope is you know they're gonna kill you or make you a slave unless you, you know, get in good with them and then they'll you'll you'll get jumped into the tribe and that's your best bet for survival. And so maybe he was thinking getting brownie points would keep him from getting killed later on or whatever and was just sort of panicky you know a panicky little cowardy guy and that that's what i sort of like wrote that off as is he was just a super super wimp with bad advice i almost wrote this note but i couldn't quite find the words for it so i'm just gonna ramble now and see if you can make sense of my rambling um, wh- the thing I almost wrote in is I actually really like how Boba, that's going to sound weird, but kind of like just took it all because it proved his toughness and he, that the moment where he spares the boy is like really important, but yeah, they were there. He was undergoing, he didn't know it, but he was undergoing a series of tests. Exactly. You know? And so it's really easy to look at this first act and be like wow the tuscans are jerks but they're not like they part of their warrior culture and part of their culture is tests and like proving yourself worthy and it's when boba proves himself worthy in act three and saves the boy's life that he's accepted into the tribe and and so I, I like how that like the setup like this, but you can see how Boba over the course of the episode is like breaking his way into the tribe. Yeah, um, like there's there there's a point where you know there there that it's not like actively let's test these guys, but it's like it's you natural, know, it's organic. We'll, we'll get some we'll get some we'll see see how they react in situations, and then they saw how Boba reacted in a couple situations. So the one with the dog. When they all gathered there and she's like, okay, I'm going to fight you. That's and everybody's standing around. I'm thinking to myself, they're all thinking to myself, okay, now is the time where we're going to discover who this guy is. We're going to, you know, we have a feeling we know who he is, what, what kind of guy he is, but it's good. We're going to find out right now. And, you know, and probably if he wasn't the guy they thought he was, he'd probably be dead. They'd probably kill him, you know? Exactly. Like, and, cause there's, and, there's three really defining scenes to me of of this process and the first one is of the tuscan boy and his friends just 
for funsies beating up Boba for fun. And then the second one is when he had every chance to kill the kid and he didn't. And and the third one is when he saves the kid and proves himself. Like that is like a tiny three act play that tells you everything you need to know about who Boba is as a person. Yes, and it also and it neatly explains or not explains, but neatly intersects with what he's doing as crime lord of of new crime lord of tattooing in the in the I... following acts. I have notes about that later. <laughs> yep, me too. But that's all I got. So Tuscan teats. Tuscan teats. Um, for me, my first note is one thing I like about this show, and I think it works really well. I'm going to preface this by saying I think it works really well in this first episode. Um, I need to rewatch the later episodes because I came out of them thinking that they didn't work as well. So I'm oh, really... new. New uh, pun for you in future when your sequel article, Gaffy hmm. sticked. They got Gaffy sticked. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> what I do like about this show is it finds creative ways to get the flashbacks in there. Um, they, from from what I remember, is sometimes they don't always work, but a lot of times, like in the course of this episode, they do. And it's it's kind of like my same feeling that I feel about resistance a lot of the times. Resistance will always swing for the fences, and sometimes it hits a home run, and sometimes it will strike out. But at least it's always trying, and that's how I feel a lot about Book of Boba Fett. Some of the stuff in Book of Boba Fett are strikeouts, but at least they're trying new things, and I'd rather them try and fail than not try at all. And I really feel like that a lot with the flashbacks. Like Some of them work really well, some of them don't. But at least they're trying new ways of doing stuff, and I really appreciate that. I I, I overall like I would say like I'm ninety five percent positive on the flashbacks. I you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I, there was like one or two that were just kind of crammed in there because they had to be there to finish the story. But uh-huh. uh, and then other stuff they tried like the moped speeder chase. I love it, but I also totally understand why people don't. <laughs> But uh, like, but I'm here for them trying something new with the moped speeder chase. So that that's yeah. Um, I enjoy watching Boba's ingenuity to get out of the Sarlacc pit. Like he goes over to the dead stormtrooper to like get his breathing tube to get some air. Um, I thought I liked that ingenuity on his part. And Charles, please write in us. P- please write in some feedback. What did you? What were your thoughts on the flamethrower in this scene? It was useful. Yeah. So I, I would like to hear. He's screaming. Um, I like how dirty they made Boba's armor. And oh, I, it, was filthy. it was coated with like acid. It was just like had like Sarlacc snot all over it. Yeah. And then when he comes out of the sand, he's all sandy. And I, I like the leader because like later on, his armor is very clearly cleaned up. Like it's got a new paint job and everything. But it has like a matted effect to it. Like it's not shiny. Like it looks very matte. Um, like M A T T E, like matted, um, yeah. and I and I like that. It makes me like wonder, like, is that the acid from the Sarlacc pit that just kind of like made it very porous and stuff? Like, I, I don't know. I really yeah, like how they, yeah, it, yeah, it took the finish off his off his, yeah. So I, it's I just lucky really he has had that armor too, which that meshes very much with the whole Beskar, you know, establishment of Be- of Beskar and stuff. Like now that adds. 
to the story of his survival in the the Sarlacc pit is he was in Beskar armor. So like, yeah, yeah. his major, major organs were protected. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, wow. I, I didn't write this note either, but now it's coming into my brain. Um, I might save it towards act three. But yeah, the Sarlacc pit has been a major sticking point forever. Bringing back Boba Fett from, from day one from Marvel comics or whatever, having to figure it's his, his the way he got out of the Sarlacc pit is not super different than than what happened in the Marvel comic. Yeah, um, and that and that is actually a nice segue into my my next note because like one of the big questions coming into the show was how did Boba get out of the Sarlacc pit? And they don't beat around the bush. It's the first nope. thing we see, and and I nope, like it's that. It's just like Ahsoka in in the Mandalorian. Exactly, like they know it's a question that fans have. They show how he does it, and then they get it out of the way as fast as they can, so yep. they can continue the rest of the story. And I appreciate that. I like that. Done and it. done and done. Yep. Yep. Um, and then, well, tiny note. I just love the warrior. I think she's just cool as hell. She's she's one of my favorite minor characters. I just think she's cool as hell. Um, and my last note that I have is I really like the double meaning of the title episode. Um, the title of the episode, because the title is Stranger in a Strange Land, and it works for both the past and the present at the same time, because in the past, he's a stranger to the Tuscans, and he's trying to figure out his, like, he's starting to figure out his place there. But in the present, Boba is also a stranger to the politics of Tatooine, so in both the past and the present, Boba has to figure out how to function as a stranger in these two new worlds that he's finding himself in. And so I, I like the double meaning of the title. So it means the same thing, but in just two different situations. And I, I really like that. And I think it's a very clever title. So um, that's all I have for Act 1. Did you have anything else? No, I don't. Act 2? I'm already. So back in the present... It is time for Boba to wake up from his nappy nap, and he feels a soft, warm hand on his cheek, and his eyes flutter open, and he smiles lovingly because it's Fennec Shand, and she's just like, hey, hot stuff, how you doing? He's like, I'm still having my dreams again. She's like, oh, no. Well, maybe later tonight I can help give you some good dreams? Is she going to raise his eyebrow? He's like, yeah, that sounds great. Thanks, honey. Um, why are you here? She's like, well, we do have a planet to rule, and all the leaders are lined up to see us. And Bubba's like, I'll be along shortly, babe. And she's like, I'll go tell them. I wish I could watch you get dressed, but I gotta go do job. Yeah, gotta go do job. Let's look at that grammar. Um, and so she smiles, she gives him a little kiss, and he just smiles, and he's like, hey, I have a girlfriend. And she leaves. And then Boba gets dressed like a king. Like his, the droids are dressing him and putting his armor on him. And he gets all armored up. And it's like his glorious moment. And finally he comes out and he sits on his brand new throne that got all the slug smell out of it. It doesn't smell like job anymore. It actually smells like normal stone. And he settles in. And he's like, all right, let's do this. So one by one, all the leaders start coming in to like give him tributes and like say how cool it is and that they're gonna be like in line and listen to him. And one leader in particular was absolutely horrifying because the Trandoshan straight up gives Boba a Wookiee pelt, which is horrible. And the tra tra but the Trandoshan is also like, 
So we're really happy to see you. Smiles and it's like super passive aggressive. And Bubba's like, oh, I used to work for that guy. Weird. Anyway, you can get out. And finally, the last guy comes in, and it's Mox Shiza's Twi'lek Major Domo. And again, I wish all these fucking characters had names, and his name is Major Domo, apparently, because, but that's his title. And But guys, the reason I want him to have names is I love him. I love this character. He's one of my favorite characters of the show. I love the Major Domo. Because this, this little bitch walks in and just starts bullshitting. Just b- opens his mouth and like bullshit just comes out and just covers Finnick and, and Boba and they're just like oh so much bullshit and he's just kowtowing and just being like oh I don't have a proper tribute but maybe you should pay us a proper tribute because the mayor of the city wants you to pay him and Boba's like I'm sorry what and Finnick's like honey can I murder him and Boba's like, no, sweetie, no, no, we're not going to murder today. What? We're not going to give pay your dude money. You're supposed to pay me money. And the Major Domo it just, is just shitting some more. And he's just like, no, no, that's not how things work around here. Well, I'm just going to go now. And Boba's like, I'll tell you what. We won't pay you a tribute and we'll save your, your life. Cool? And the little toady is just like, yeah, cool, okay, bye. And the Major Domo leaves. But he stops and he turns and he's like, oh, one more thing, one more thing. Expect to see the mayor. Because we're watching you. And Boba's like, well, that's ominous. Okay, bye. And then the last two people that bring in are the two Gamorrean guards. And these two Gamorrean guards are just like, hi, we served Jabba and Bib Fortuna. And so when they died, we tried to leave. And then they captured us. And Boba's like, cool. Do you want a job? And they're like, yeah, sure. We'll work for you and be loyal. And Boba's like, being your ruler is easy. And Finnick's like, this is gonna go so bad. <laughs> we are so fucked. And Boba's like, no, no, we'll be fine. Hey, let's go into town. Come on. And so all of our heroes walk into Moss Whatever, because I don't give a shit what the town's called. And so all the people of Moss Whatever are just like, that's Boba Fett. He's the new leader and stuff. Why is he not being carried around on a platform called a litter? And Finnick's like, he should be on a, on a litter. And Boba's like, hell no, I got two feet. Can you hear my two feet? I can walk. And, and Finnick's like, my god, we're all dead. Like, I'm really worried about this. I love you, honey, but really, we should be carrying you. And he's like, whatever, let's go see one of the best characters of the show. So they kick in the door, and there's Max Rebo. And all the fans of Star Wars yell and celebrate, because it's Max Rebo, and he's alive, apparently, and they're all excited. Anyway, we go into Garso Flip's cantina, and... Where we were met, oh boy, by the two hottest Twi'leks ever. And they are gorgeous, especially the green man. Good lord, when I saw this, my Loden Greedstorm loving heart can't handle him. Because all I can see is, this is how Loden, my favorite Jedi from the High Republic, that I've written like 364,000 words of a fanfic for, looks like this guy and my brain just exploded and I want to do things to him anyway the hot twilight are just like hi 
would you like us to service you? And Hope is like, yes. But Boba and Finnick are like, no, no, we're fine. And, fin- and Boba's like, no, no, we're not fine. We would love our helmets to be quote unquote serviced and cleaned. And they're like, okay, yes, bye. fully, fully. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and they look, they're like, yeah, we just need to touch a Garza. Go get her. And they're like, okay. And they leave. And then the amazing Garza flip comes out looking gorgeous and she's beautiful and I love her. And Garza just comes over and she's just like, hey, how's it doing? What can we help you with? And Boba's like, hi, I rule Tatooine now. What's up? And she's like, oh, well, you didn't have a litter. I didn't know you were coming. And Fennec just looks at Boba like, yeah, you didn't have a litter. <laughs> Duh. And Boba's like, well, I just wanted to let you know that I'm ruling Tatooine now. But if you, you know, stay in line, then you can just keep doing your thing here. And Garza's like, oh, well, that's cool. Well, I, we will do that. Anything else? And they're like, no, that's about it. Loved you in the L world word. You're really good in that Jennifer Bills. And she's like, oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Anyway, the two hot Twilights come over and they hand back their, their helmets and their helmets are full of money. And Boba just kind of smiles at Finnick. And he's like, we're going out on a hot date tonight with this. And she's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Anyway, so they all leave Garza's, Garza's cantina. And Finnick's just like, seriously, dude, you know, ruling what by fear works. And Boba's like, no, I don't want to rule by fear. I want to rule with honor and dignity. But no one's got time for that because, oh no, our our heroes and our lovers are suddenly attacked by assassins. Dun dun dun. And then I ended Pissed it there. off parkours. <laughs> and then parkours, I ended it there because parkourists. Yeah, because after the fight, there's like after the fight, there's like six minutes left. So I was like, oh, I'll just save this for Act Three. Okay, so you haven't watched Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, right? No. The The major domo is Better Call Saul. He is Saul Goodman from Better Call Saul. He, he's been given a shit sandwich to serve to Boba Fett. And, like, the mayor doesn't care whether he lives or dies, obviously. <laughs> the mayor's probably sending him to see whether he's going to come back alive or not as a test. Because everything's a test for Boba Fett in this. And uh, so, but he's, he is able to talk his, he's able to talk himself out of getting killed. It's really Boba Fett's decision, but he handle he still handles himself. He gets out alive, you know, but yeah, he's a, just a, 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 it's, it's almost out of, it's, it's almost like, um, um, Pelly in the in in the mandalorian where that's why i love them and i ship them so hard when they're together you guys i ship them so hard i want them to like be like boyfriend and girlfriend when we get to season three (laughs) they're gonna be talking you know she well yeah you know she's not probably not averse to it but but basically he's doing better call Saul, which is which is fun a lot of fun um and like I didn't find like when she was like it's a mistake to do this with the Gamorians. I'm like, why? They've been they've been consistently there. They are like a consistent thing the people see. The people are obviously like scared of them. They were obviously good at their job. In in some sort of in the crime syndicate, there's just machinations at work. 
And so you would think a lot of times when someone new takes over, some of those machinations will stay in place, you know, because a, these guys, it makes sense. They're loyal. These guys, these guys like being the guards to the crime Lord of tattooing. They obviously don't give a shit who the crime Lord is, but they probably are going to give a shit a lot more with Boba Fett. Cause he's like, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to kill these guys, you know? I, but I, and, I do think the loyalty was the problem because in Phoenix's eyes, these two served the two people that Boba, well, one Boba killed flat out and the other one died. So I'm sure there was a concern of she's, she's like, will they be loyal to us or well, not? If, if they were loyal to Jabba and then, I mean, they must have been loyal enough to Jabba to make Bib Fortuna be like, yeah, I want to use these guys incompetent enough. And they didn't betray, you know, I mean, they're not, they're not, the reason they had nothing to do with either Boba or um, um, Jabba's death or Bib Fortuna's death. But, the, so, but I think like, some of it, I think the worry the worry is they were originally working for Jabba, and so was Bib Fortuna, and Bib was Jabba's right hand man. So they were also technically working for Bib too. And yeah. so I I, can't, I do see Phoenix reasoning. Of course, we learned that the Gamorrean guards are perfectly fine and they're lovely people, and we adore them. Um, yeah. but, but I do understand her reasoning of just being like, are you sure they worked with the, like one of the people that I just, killed? I mean, I just think it's obvious what he's doing. He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do it the hard way and I'm not, I'm going to, instead of fear, I'm going to do loyalty because loyalty is harder to get. But if you get loyalty, you, you know, you've got, you've, you know, you've, got people as long as long as you keep up your end of the bargain you, you're going to you know have much str- you know it's a much stronger rule than with fear and yeah. I, and and that's what the you know that's what he learned with the t- like he like he likes to bash people's skulls in and yes he's taken down quite he's in bad shape when the Tuscans have him, but like he has to really, he's still trying to escape and stuff, but he has to really like control himself to get through that situation. And it's like, you know, a, a life changing experience to make him the character that he's going to be in the series. So, yeah. yeah. But, but I could also see a very real scenario, like while the show was still airing, because I, I did see a couple of fan theories floating around of like will the Gamorians backstab Boba at some point and of course they don't but I, I could have seen a scenario where they were just like sure. ha we were evil the whole time so, so I do think like Finnick's worries are yep. valid but I, I, I just yeah I, I was running with his loyalty over strength theme uh-huh. and he, he explains it to her she just doesn't believe him um, please find a new cantina song like even though they give it a little Caribbean Flair, little jazzy flair and a little like jazz guitar, Django Reinhardt guitar player sort of feel to it. It's an it's a nice arrangement of it, but it's like, come on, man, come on. How many songs do we have just in any single country on earth? You know, there's got to be more songs to play at the if, cantina. It's, if they it's, pull it's, out the song from Star Wars Visions, like the that star waiver plays i would actually like freak out to hear that in a star wars that's okay because that song didn't catch up that song isn't just like as 
as memorable and what i mean this 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 song is just Fuck so you, chris it's on my playlist i listened to it yesterday well, while that, I yeah trying. i know but it's not it, it does not <laughs> occupy the place in cult it, uh, it occupies obviously a place in hope mullinex culture but just in culture <laughs> at large everybody knows even the people who are like i don't know i sort of watch the star wars movies what order are they in no bum so just get a get a new song, guys. Come on. Um, where's Fenix Money <laughs> when they come out? I was I trying to figure it out. They they have these they have these helmets full of money. He's still carrying his like a kid with his like Halloween candy. She's got her fe- helmet upside down. She's swinging it around, and I'm like, okay. So she took somehow took her money out in the last three seconds between you know through the doorway. The but like I'm like, but where? But where yeah. is it? The only but thing there's I think she of has is no... that she dumped it into his helmet. That was all I could think Maybe. of. But yeah, yeah I noticed that too. No fanny pack, no, no, you know, like any kind of like any kind of backpack or anything. So I'm like, yeah, there's no place for that money to go, you know. So I was just like that. That was a little continuity stuff, but it, not that big a deal. That's all I think I really got. Uh, That's cool because this is where the so... majority of my notes of the episode are. Well, have at it then, I guess. So my first note is about one of Boba's lines when he first wakes up at the top of the act. And he tells Fennec, the dreams are back. And I always thought that was a kind of a odd line. And I and I don't still to this day quite know what to make of it. It sounds like something out of a, like a Freddy Krueger movie or something or a melodrama or something. Oh, dear, the dreams are back. And like, it's like. I wouldn't, I would have, I mean, that, that would just be dreams. If I was Boba Fett and that happened to me, that would be like the dreams you would have because that's some intense shit. (laughs) Yeah. And so like, I kind of, while I don't quite fully, and they never really explained it either in the show, which I kind of like, because then it's up to audience interpretation. We can glean some things from it. Like for one, by saying the dreams are back, means that this is a regular occurrence for Boba. Um, and so it makes me wonder if this is something that has happened to him since he was young. And part of me thought about, like, if we ever see Boba and say, like, Bad Batch, are we going to get a scene where he has similar dreams? Which I think would be really cool to kind of connect the two shows together. Um, but, like, by saying that they're back means that this is a regular occurrence. And, and I think that's a really interesting choice. And then the other thing I liked about it is that's very personal information, and he shares it with Finnick, which shows how much they trust each other as partners because he's able to show this trust that he can tell her this personal thing. And she she knows what it means, which means that somewhere off screen they've had this conversation about, like, his dreams. And so maybe, just, You know what? Like maybe he views dreams... Maybe he views dreams differently after hanging out. This is post-Tuscan, so maybe he's... It's more, maybe it's, you know, hinting at a more visionary, you know. Well, we do know he goes on a spirit things. journey. Like he does right, have a spirit journey. The, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That maybe he's more in tune with his, with his dreams. So he's been haunted by these dreams and telling Fennec about him because he's thinking about why should I, and, you know, why should I be thinking? And they are kind of visionary because the dreams are all sort of flashing to him all the stuff that he's going to apply to being crime lord. Yeah. 
Um, so, so listeners, I would love to hear your interpretation of that line because I think it's a really interesting line, but I don't exactly know what to make of it, but I really like it. Um, my next note is the Matt Berry droid is very much Matt Berry as a droid. <laughs> and he you know, is, he's, he's a, he's being, well, Matt Berry's just got that voice and he's played a lot of roles, but it's a very, you know, uh, compared to like what we do in the shadows, it's a very dry Matt Berry, Berry voice, but that's great coming from this robot. You know, he's just like, oh, okay. I'm usually scared of this model of robot. Like, this is one of the yes. robots that usually, like, freak me out. But because it's Matt Berry's voice, it doesn't freak me out at all. But I, I and I remember this droid because, like, Even though later, he's, he's, he is, like, being, like, time to torture. <laughs> right, <laughs> But, right. boss, you got to torture. <laughs> and I remember he has, like, some scenes later that I found very funny. And, like, after I'd started watching What We Do in the Shadows, I was just like, this is a very Matt Berry thing. Um yes. But I, I think because it's Matt Berry, it doesn't bother me. But I, I really enjoy it. Um, oh, so when the when the Trandoshan leader comes, Boba has that line of just like, this is awkward. I used to work for that guy. <laughs> but I like that because it really puts a lot of context in his new position. Because these people don't take him seriously because he has probably worked for all of them at some point. He's the un he was the underling and now he's in charge, which is why probably a lot of them don't take them seriously. So I like that exchange because it really set up a lot of the tension but of the show. At the same time, he was supposedly like a renowned bounty hunter. So like at the same time, you'd think they would be maybe a little intimidated by him because they used to hire him probably because he was good because he was, you know, sadistic. Yeah, but uh, he was also still always an underling. And so that exchange of, I used to work for this guy and it's awkward, and Phoenix like, well, what does it mean for him? That sets up a lot of tension of the show and a lot of well, the Well, the, the whole line of, like, I hope I hope you are, you know, rule the crime family, you know, cry, I hope you rule crime on tattooing for the rest of your life <laughs> is, yeah yeah is, it's very passive aggressive like, why does that feel like a threat and it's like because that's a that is a obvious threat <laughs> exactly and then we see this continue with the major domo because the major domo as we said is just bullshitting him like straight up and down and so like yeah. i really love the whole like meeting the new dime dime yo scene because it just sets up the very messy politics of tatooine but it also is setting up a lot of the conflict of the show and a lot of the hurdles that Boba has to overcome. So I actually really love the scene. Well, he, Boba's getting tested again, but like they don't make it, they make it more subtle, but Boba is also testing everybody else too, you know? So like, she's like, you know, this isn't going to go well, but he's also thinking to himself, yeah, but I'm going to get to know who these, you know, he knows who the mayor is now, you know? Mm -hmm. He he he's he he knows a lot of people's stances and he triggered he triggered actions, you know, to see who was going to be trying to kill him right off the bat and stuff. So. Yeah, absolutely. And then one last little thing about the Trandoshan. First of all, it's absolutely horrifying that he gives him a Wookiee pelt because Wookiees but, are people. Yeah. It, well, I mean, you know, I mean, all that was. um hinted at in you know all the way back in in clone wars 
Oh, yeah. We know there is a very long history of Wookiees and Trandoshans not liking each other. So seeing it on display here is, this is going to sound horrible, but great to see because it just is a little piece of Star Wars lore. But it's also a nice setup because later on in the show, we have Black Kersantan. And he has an entire scene of, like, fighting with Trandoshans and ripping their arms off. So it does set up, like, kind of, like, the species tensions as well between, like, different species and people of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. So it was just, but it was all visual. And it's one of those things, like, if you know, you know, and you know why. And But it doesn't have to, a a normal Star Wars fan probably saw, like, the fur and was just like, oh, it's fur. Because it doesn't have, like, a big Wookiee head hanging off of it or anything. If it did, then it would be absolutely horrifying. <laughs> um, and it probably wouldn't be in a Disney show. A, sh- a shrunken Wookiee head. Yeah, something like that. Um, or even if he was just like, I bring you this Wookiee fur, that would still probably not make it past Disney. But so, so I like that. That was a nice little Easter egg for like Star Wars Well, the Wars first fans time he's... Know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, my next note is I just love the Twi'lek Major Domo. He might be my one of my favorite characters of the sh- characters of the show because every time he's on the screen, he's just this bureaucratic little toady full of sass and red tape, and I adore him. <laughs> Give him a name. Um. So, so I had this thought dawn on me, and it's going to sound crazy at first, but let me finish. You know who Boba reminds me a lot of in this episode? Satine from Clone Wars. And what I mean by that is, in no way is he trying to be a pacifist. He's not. That's not what he's trying to do. Like, and, and Satine in, was trying to be a pacifist with the Mandos. What I mean is, is that Boba is going against the expected grain of society to try and find what he thinks is a better way of life. Satine did the exact same thing. She honestly thought pacifism was a better direction for Mandalore, and it was going against their natural grain of their society and like Satine both of them are met with a lot of oppositions from the people who are in power that are losing their power because if Bobo's way actually works all these people that he met as the die as the daimyo they're all losing their position they're all losing their money they're all losing their position of power just like how People like Death Watch were going to lose their position to power. The Prime Minister under Satine was losing his power all because of Satine's plan. So it just it really reminded me a lot of Satine's story, which is interesting because they're both still Mandalorians. And this is still a very Mandalorian show in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah, he it just the story reminded me a lot of the trials that Satine went through in Clone Wars. Can I tell you well, a fun... I mean, I mean, I think they would... They... they... Would purposely I think that might be purposeful I think you know I think there's a good possibility he's going to fit into that whole you know that whole into the whole Mandalorian story and well also keep in mind one of the people in pre in Satine's story was pre Vizsla who voiced pre Vizsla John Favreau so he's very familiar with these Mando stories because right. he was right. in those Clone Wars episodes. That was his jam. So um, I, I agree. I bet it is kind of purposeful in a way. So can I tell you about a fun fan theory that I fully okay. believe? So there is this idea about the t- green Twi'lek man that works for Garsif Whip. And the theory is that he's transgender. That is because 
if you look at his costume, he has ear cones. Ear cones are only uh, Twi'leks who are assigned female at birth. Male, uh, assigned male Twi'leks at birth have normal human-looking ears. He doesn't have those. He has the ear cones. So there's this fan theory that he's transgender, which I really love that theory, because we have, um, we talked about this in the, Mandal- the first season of The Mandalorian with Shion. A lot of her makeup is very male Twi'lek. So there's an idea that she was transgender. And in the Ronin novel, um, it has a couple of trans Twi'leks as well. So I really love this kind of like fan theory idea that the Twi'lek culture is very open with their gender and like they're okay with like being transgender or non-binary. And I just think that's a really cool idea because I also feel like someone at Lucasfilm would probably be like, that's a male Twi'lek. Why does he have ear cones? They don't have those. Like that feels like a, especially like with Dave Filoni as an executive producer, he would know that. Um, Not that I trust Dave Filoni to do anything with queer storytelling as far as I can throw him but I feel like someone would have noticed that to correct it and they didn't so I I just it's a fun fan theory that I just really love yeah I I would say I, I, I agree with you but there is a possibility because this is a Robert Rodriguez production Robert Rodriguez runs on is is like kind of a go to guy of like do you want something done well with style and on the fast and cheap? That's uh, that's Rodriguez's like where he, you know, that's where he swims at. So I could see like on the set, like they're they're getting somebody just somebody could have just missed it in the hurry of like, we've got, you know, two hours to get this done or something like that and and maybe then somebody seeing it and going like well the i mean the the twi'leks have the the um i i mean they have they're they're sort of enslaved and like sort of like sexualized but maybe they have a very like sexual society or sort of sensual society or whatever if you want to make it sound creepy um and you know, like a race like that, yeah, you would want to have like a vast, um, y- you could see having a like a vast, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, variation, n- yeah, no, um, amount from one end to another, uh, spectrum. Spectrum. You would want to have a vast, vast spectrum of genders. You know, uh, you know, they're just, they're just, they just sort of like, they're just kind of that race that almost any other race can look at and go like, these guys are sexy, except for the politicians who are all kind of fat and lumpy and 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 jerky, but like all the regular, it's it's sort of like um. Brazil. <laughs> They're Brazilians. <laughs> I I hear you. Um my slight counterpoint if it came down to budgets. What to me saves more money? Them actually taking the time to make ear cone prosthetics and putting it on the actor or just painting his natural ears green. Well, they just could have had a box of Twilight 
prosthetics that they've used in the past and you know they they're like okay we got twilex in this bring in the box of all the prosthetics and see if we can reuse some of them you know it and, would still and... take like time to put them on paint them do all oh, yeah. that make sure yeah oh, versus yeah. just oh, sure. painting his natural ears green yeah i'm just saying because they body paint i'm just the rest saying of or it. it might be something that, that somebody snuck in because and it I, doesn't and I, sound like it doesn't sound like Disney. Like, let's get this in there, you know, or exactly. or whatever. I I would love to like figure out who was the costume person on set right. because I would love to ask that. That's question what I'm saying. Too. That's what I'm saying. It could be more like, well, let's just do this and see if anybody notices, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because you, you wouldn't even have to like go out and like drop a rumor or anything you just let the fans do their work because that is actually a very disney thing um so many disney creators have to slide in queer coding and stuff like that because there's a lot of frustration at at disney so they want to like yeah yeah so i i wouldn't put it past them doing that like um they did that amphibia in a way where when they wanted to confirm that Sasha was bisexual. All they could do was put a sticker on her car of a little heart with the bisexual colors. And then the creator had to come out and be like, yeah, she's bi. Like they couldn't say it in show. Um, so like, it's actually a very Disney thing to do that. Um, and my last note I have is about Garza. Um, I love her. I need to know more about her because I find her a very interesting character. And I, I will go ahead and flat out say one of my flat out criticisms of this show is her treatment, how we don't get a lot of her. We don't know a lot about her. And then she's killed. Like, it really bothers me. Um, and I, will I talk forgot about she that. was in Swamp Thing. Yeah. And I, I flat out like that really bothers me. And we will talk about that later. But one of the things I liked about Garza is I thought she was going to be a villain. Like, like, like a shady, shady villain like the rest of them. And she's just kind of chill for the entire yeah, show. She's, she's, she's great because she's like, yeah, we'll, we'll get the bribe out there and stuff. But she's just trying to make her just trying to make her thing work. I'm just surprised. Je- like Jennifer Beale was like hotsy totsy actress in the early 80s, <laughs> you know, yeah, flush, and she's and hot she still here. looks. Yeah, she still looks wonderful. And she did in Swamp Thing, too. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame that she only had a cameo role. I thought she was going to be a running, I thought she was going to be a running character in the, the series. Spoiler. Especially, especially because, like, the fact, and I think part of the reason why it makes me so mad is she is just kind of minding her own business for the entire show. So it, it's kind of like them killing off the Tuscans. <laughs> like, it kind of just feels like a slap in the face because she didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, but. In, in uh, the crime world, there's collateral damage. I'm just realizing this is kind of old school. This show is kind of old school because it's just full of older actors and actresses kicking, you know, looking good and kicking ass. It reminds me of the, the 70s where, like, the average age of leading man was, like, 58 or, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you know. And everybody, everybody's a little older in this, but they're, it's not like about them being older. They're just, they're out there just like, just tearing stuff up. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is remind you that Ming-Na Wen's older than you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but that's all I have for Act 2. Did you have anything else? No, let's finish this, this cute little Tuscan dog off. 
let's 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 rub this Tuscan dog on the along the jawline gently mm. after Scratch knocking it out. Scratch his booty. Anyway, so act three. Oh no, assassins are attacking our hero. And they they are surrounded and they're trying to fight. And Boba and Finnick are, are like, oh no, we're surrounded by ray shields. What will we do? But we are here because our Gamorian friends are there to save the day. And they show their loyalty by crashing in through the, the shields and like beating up people. And, fin- and, and Boba looks at Finnick like, see? Good thing we brought them, huh? And she's like, shut up and fight. I'll kiss you later. And so they start fighting the assassins and they're beating them up. Pew, pew. Uh, actually, it's more like punch, 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 punch. And the assassins are just like, oh, God, they're competent. We should run away. And so Phoenix like, I'm going to go after them. And Boba has been clocked really, really hard. And he, But he's still like, Phoenix, we need one alive. And she's like, cool, you're hot. Bye, honey. Feel better. And she runs off. And Finnick run, is running through the buildings and they're parkouring left and right. And the assassins are like, parkour harder! And she's like, I can parkour all of you. And she jumps up and she captures, like, she she blocks off two of them. And she's like, what's up, bitches? And they're like, oh, no, it's Fennec. And she's like, well, I only need one of you. So she shoves one of them off the building and she captures one of the dudes. Well, during all that, Boba got clocked so hard that he needs a flashback nap. So the Gamorians take Boba and they whisk him away and they put him in the back to tank and he takes another nap. So we go into the past and after Boba has been concussed for like the 24th time, he wakes up to the Tuscan boy untying part of his ropes but not the ropes around his hands and he gets Boba up and he leads Boba and the snitching Rodian out to the desert with his doggo. So they walk along the desert for a while and Boba's just like, it's hot. And the Tuscan's like, I don't care. And they walk along and then off in the distance, they see some smoke rising over the dunes. And Boba's like, that's not good. I bet that's foreshadowing for episode three. And the Tuscan boy is like, what does that mean? He's like, don't, don't worry about it right now. We'll worry about it when we get there. So they go over to the dune and they look out. And there, they see a group of raiders in the background. And I had, in the background, off in the distance. And I had to look it up, and they're called a swoop gang. I had to look it up. (laughs) And the swoop gang is ransacking a family and taking all their water. And they're beating up the family. And they throw them down, and they take their water. And they graffiti their house, and they drive away. And Boba has this look on it like, this is very important for my future character journey, and I'm noting it now in my brain. But the Tuscan boy don't have time for this. So he gets up and he leads them away more into the desert. And so when they get out into the middle of the desert, the Tuscan boy is like, all right, start digging. They're like, digging for what? And the Rodian just starts digging, and he finds a pod. And the pod has water inside of them. And Boba's like, oh, that's where the water comes from. Cool. So then they dig. And then they dig some more. And then they dig some more, and the Rodian is fighting all the pods, and Boba's like, how are you finding all these things? Man, I found, like, one. It's right here. And he tries to drink out of it, and the Tuscan boy's like, no way. And he tries to hit Boba, but Boba has learned. He is not getting concussed again today. And he captures the, the, he catches the gaffy stick, and he drinks his water, and he's like, I'm thirsty. But the Tuscan boy takes the water, and like a sassy king he is, he gives the water to the dog. 
And Bobo watches and looks so upset. And I love that scene. So then they dig some more. And for a change of pace, the Tuscan boy takes a nap. Because the dog's in charge now. And so as they're digging, the Rodian finds something in the sand. And it feels weird. And he starts kind of uncovering it. Because it looks weird and it kind of looks sort of skeletal. But as he starts digging more and more away, he realizes that it's a claw because, oh no, a Ray Harryhausen monster has awoken in a bus out of the sand. And he's just like, hi, I'm kind of claymation and I'm going to eat you now. And so it picks up the Rodian, but oh no, Boba is still attached by chain to the Rodian. And the Rodian is very quickly killed. And Boba is still attached to him. And the the Tuscan boy wakes up. He's just like, ah, a Ray Harryhausen monster. Fight it. And the doggo runs in there, but the doggo gets thrown. And it's going after the, the Tuscan boy. And the little boy is like, ah, don't hurt me, don't hurt me. But that's okay, because Boba fucking Fett is there. And he jumps on the monster's back and pulls a Hut Slayer Leia move and wraps the chains around the creature's throats and starts strangling the shit out of him. And he kills the monster. And then he looks down at the boy. And the boy looks up at, up at him. And they have this moment where Boba's like, yeah, we're friends now, aren't we? And the boy's like, hell yeah, we are. Let's cut off its head. So they grit the head, and the boy happily takes him back to the village, and the boy's like, Look, everyone! Look! He killed the Harryhausen monster! He killed it! He killed it! Yay! And the tribe is like, Oh, he killed the Harryhausen monster! Cool! Well, that's fun! And Boba's like, Huh. That was easy-ish. Not really. I got, I got like 26 concussions. And the chief walks over, and he's like, Yeah, you did. Here's some water. And Boba's like, I have water now. Am I part of the tribe? And the chief's like, let's not get ahead of ourselves because uh, you have to get her approval too. And he looks over and there's the warrior and the warrior is like, not impressed. And Boba's like, whatever, I got water now and we're somewhat cool and I have a feeling I'm not going to be sleeping tied up to a post tonight. The end. I have a different interpretation. Of what? Of what happened. I think when the kid came in holding that with the the came back with the the Harryhausen in his head hand, he got the credit for it. He get like he was in charge there. He's part of the tribe. Oh, interesting. I could see that. He came, he came back with this. He came back with this animal, and that like all of a sudden ups his status in the tribe. And but the chief and knew the Boba truth. Fett, Boba Fett, you no, know, they know every everybody knows the truth, but it does it doesn't matter because Boba Fett's just some guy, you know. So even if he killed it, the kid coming back with it, that kid came back with a head of this killer thing that strikes fear into people's hearts. That's pretty, you know. So I think, I think besides just like he saved my saved my kid's life save my kid's life and he let him take credit for it you know he doesn't he's he's letting it like he 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 made my like he cemented my son in the in the clan and he didn't have to he if he killed this thing he could have like Easily he had his chance he had his chance to leave at that point like 
you know, the only thing stopping him might have been the dog, and the dog was taking a nap, actually, by that point. So, like, this guy knows that Boba Fett could have, like, killed his kid, you know, after killing this thing, had his freedom left and been, like, on out out on his way out, you know, in civilized land where they couldn't go get him. So he got a lot of cred for that, you know, and I think he knew he did, you know, at that point he knew he didn't was going like, I know what you, I know you guys are testing me and, you know, and he, he got in good with the, with the, you know, he's just like, Hey, I know your dad trying to figure it out. Since I was there, I'd help out and do the, do the dad thing, you know, and, uh, you know, he, he, tre- he treated the kid like, you know, not not an enemy, like a friend. So Yeah, and, yeah. and that was kind of like the mini three-part play I was talking about. Like, he, he's had two chances now to kill the kid, and he didn't either time, which is really telling about Boba, that he's not yep. just going to... And, and I do wonder if, like, some of it is his past trauma. Like, he was a kid when his dad died, and he was left alone. And, right, right. And, and and so I feel like that's where well, yeah, a lot they, of those they showed that scene. Yeah, so. and so like that scene is very like telling of Boba in this as well. Like that little kid is essentially Boba in in a, in a lot of ways of trying yeah. to like live this warrior life that he's not quite ready for, but he's kind yeah. of thrusted into this harsh environment. Oh yeah, for for sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and and Boba's getting a lot of like second. He's He's basically he's basically back from the dead, you know, so he's he's getting a chance to he's getting a little do over, you know, Mm -hmm. and in a way, this story is I I don't want to quite call it a redemption arc, but it has a lot of the makings of one and a lot of like the the tropes of one. But it's not uh, quite a redemption arc because it's 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 a redemption arc enough to make him palatable enough for a Disney show, I, a fun I Disney would... show that, that, you know, and I know a lot of people like were griping. It's like, Oh, what's up with the soft Boba Fett? And it's like, if you want to have him be a, a, a character in the show, unless the show is going to be pure, just like just fluff popcorn, you gotta have, you got, he's gotta have a story, you know, he's gotta, exactly. he's gotta progress and go someplace or else he's not going to be interesting unless you just want to see a character who just goes and kicks everybody's ass, everybody, every episode, which not ne- is not necessarily bad, but it's not going to fit into what Disney wants to do with Star Wars. It's going to fit with like something like Ash, Ash versus Evil Dead or something like that. But but also like I, I, my words came to me as we were talking, which was actually kind of the note that earlier on I was like, I need to write this note down. Um, it's not really a, a redemption arc. It's a journey of honor, which yeah. is very much what we have been talking about with Den. One of the things we talked about while going through s- the season two of The Mandalorian is how Den and Boba are two sides of the exact same Mando coin. They're both on similar journeys trying to refine their honor. Um, Den lost his because of circumstance because he got Grogu, he got outside of his cults, he saw all these cultures, and he had a lot of his, what he thought was Mandalorian armor, uh, honor, ripped away. And he's having to find out what true honor really is. 
Boba's on a similar journey because he has been this like badass terror in the galaxy. And then he was left for dead. And now he's having this chance to have a do-over. And we see the culmination of this with with Cad Bane at the to, you know, long spoiler ahead of time. Where, yeah, he kills Cad Bane, but he kills him out of protecting his people. He doesn't kill Cad Bane for revenge. He doesn't kill Cad Bane in cold blood just because he can. He does it from a point of protection, which is a lot like how Din is around Grogu. Din changes because he has to because of Grogu. Boba changes is because he finds this new way of life in a thing worth protecting outside of himself. And they are both on the exact same journey because they're both protecting something outside of themselves and not doing stuff for selfish reasons. And he's also the perfect age for a space midlife crisis. Yeah. (laughs) This is a a Star Wars midlife crisis story. So they're, they're both very much journeys of honor, which is... What what I wanted to say is this is kind of very much the first step of seeing that journey of honor. So I'll probably talk uh, a lot more about that over the course of the show. Hey, what's some of your other notes? Just some minor notes. When like a lot of people complained about the fight with the shields, but like they're like, look at everybody's just standing. They're just standing around waiting for people to attack them. And it's like because they're not just attacking them with sticks. There's people with those shields, and those shields are obviously electrified because somebody hits one and goes, It's actually very Roman. It is. Most of the people there are not attacking. They have weapons, but they are there to keep them in one place while a person attacks them one at a time because if they all attack them, they open themselves up to, like, one of the people getting out of their circle. So it's a very... It's a very planned and tactical attack. So it's an, a tactical fight. It's not a all out just like it's not like him beating up the stormtroopers in Mandalorian. So I, I don't see what those people's they're like, oh, the lifeless fight or whatever. My quibble is you got a fucking jet pack. Use it as soon as they surround you. Just use that extra dimension you've got to fight. You know, you have it because we see it all. You use it all the time. You just fly up there and, uh, you know, fly out there and land right behind them. And then you can beat the hell out of them while Fennec, you know, and, and create a hole for Fennec or whatever. You got a jet pack, fly, (laughs) fly, Boba fly. But that's just a minor, that's just a minor, um, quibble. Um, uh, Mando and Fett and Fennec, I just realized, all equal helmets, and that equals just makes life so much easier for the filmmakers to to do stunts. Mm-hmm. I just realized that this, this is a this is a stunt show dream because you just throw a mask over whoever the stunt person is, and you don't have to find like an exact face or you know a close facial looking person or stuff so this this shows another like it's it's got some good economy in it with the masks um and i think uh i i i love the harry harryhausen monster just for me too i love like a i love harryhausen animation and it isn't this isn't jerky well not that Harryhausen was jerky but it doesn't have that that cell animation or that that claymation model look to it but it looks like a Harryhausen monster it exactly. looks like two or three Harryhausen monsters 
but the way it run the way when it runs and it's like sort of centered up and running is just amazing they they just created like Harryhausen did they created the whole physics for this thing and it's just very interesting and this thing is they just bring it to life it's just great yeah i i have a note on that too like it i feel like janky is a it's a strong word because um it it does have like a slight jerkiness to me um just slightly but i feel like it's purposeful because it does feel like a callback to claymation um, oh yeah it's, and so like the way it glorious moves, yeah it like the way it moves it does have a very claymation feel to it even though it's cgi and it feels very purposeful like they were trying to recreate like i what, what's the game the the board the the jarek the board game that that's three po no, no, that 3PO and Chewie play in A New Hope. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't like know Like the Jarek or something? Like, those were yeah, Claymation, whatever. and it reminds me of those very much. I I never remember anything if unless they say it in the, you know, they, they said it, you know. Yeah, but this, this Harryhausen monster reminds me of those little Claymation monsters yes. from A New Hope, and it feels like a callback to them. Um, So I really love this monster. I think it's really Well, yeah, cool. it's a... It's a very non it's it's functional in its own thing, but it's not just a, it's just biologically doesn't look very realistic for an actual creature that would evolve. But boy, it's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. And my, my only other note is is my last sort of deep note is I think the whole if you have to um, boil down between the flashback everything in this episode the the less the theme that boba fett learned was um if you want to win over tattooing or you know or you know this chunk of tattoo you know just tattooing in the general sense he's not going to be the ruler of tattooing but if you want to like if 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 you're in tattooing and you win over the the sand people, then you've got the that's that's how you win over tattooing is if you is if you win over if you can win over the sand people, then then it's gonna work for you know the the townspeople. There there was a very prominent fan theory that um early early in the show like pre episode three, which I wish came to pass. Which was the idea of part of Boba's unifying thing, uh, everybody was unifying the sand people and the people in the cities. Because we saw kind of the start of that in The Mandalorian with Den and Cobb Vanth, where they brought together the people of Freetown and they brought together the Tuscans to achieve a goal. And I'm re- that's, that's part of the reason why I'm like, one of the many reasons why I'm upset that the Tuscans were killed, and we will get to that because it pisses me the fuck off. It is the laziest of storytelling and the laziness, laziest of writing. Um, but it's it was. I feel like that was a huge missed opportunity because that would have been groundbreaking storytelling in a Star Wars if they had gone that route. Um, and. I, I feel that that was a massive missed opportunity, and I really wish it was happened. It would have happened because it it feels like that's where the show is going. Like past Boba is learning to live with these people, future Boba is like learning to live with the people in the cities, and it feels like a natural connection between the two. And then the Tuscans I, are gone, and it pisses me I, off. I feel that he could 
do inroads to it, but I feel like that process would probably take a, would be like a life lifelong project to like get it but, to where like. But, but even like, then, yeah. but even then, like it, it it doesn't need to be the whole process. It just needs to be the first step because that's what yeah. we see in Mando, which is the first step between the people of Freetown and the Tuscans. It's the first step. It doesn't have to be the whole process because right. us as the audience can fill in the rest. Also, also, it it seems like the Tuscans are also not like a un a, a united force either. They seem like a, a they're they're all Tuscans, but there's a lot of different tribes, and the tribes all have different you know have different um, takes takes on it. Sort of like the Mandalorians, you know. That's actually so, very valid because the costumes in Mandalorian are different from the Tuscans in this. Like they, they're they're completely different robes and different like different colors. Um, they all wear dark clothes, while the Tuscans in Mando and original trilogy wear lighter robes. So I, I can definitely see that that this is just one tribe. Uh, well, I, I also I also seem to remember like dialogue at some point that that was just like where he he says something like you know they're you know they used to be you know they used when they he's explaining you know after his vision and stuff but you know they're just they they after a while they did they became a bunch of disconnected tribes you know and that that often you know are seem to be uh at odds with each other i i wonder if a lot of that is the colonization of the planet that separated them um, oh yeah no, I, I mean, I think they're drawing just, you know, obvious parallels to Native Americans. Oh, yeah, very obvious. You know. Um, which means that there, and we know that white colonization is a big thing. We're, we'll get to that, I think it's next week's episode with the train, because the train is coming onto their land, and this train has been a problem for them, um, which is why they need you know to what? I think, I think I remember a line, something like, you know, Somebody saying if the Tuscans were able to, you, or maybe it was a Tuscan who even said that if we were able, you know, if we were actually able to unite ourselves, you know, like we used to be, we could actually like, you know, take back, take back tattooing, you know. <laughs> if it helps. I don't know. I... We'll, we'll find out in upcoming episodes, but I, I remember something to that effect. I, if it helps, or I guess it doesn't help. But I keep confusing part plots of this of future episodes in this with Star Wars Visions because there's the one short TOB one, the Astro Boy short, where they're trying to like replant plants on Tatooine to make it rain and it rains. Right. And so when I was coming into this, I was like, why aren't they planting trees? And I was like, oh wait, shit, that was Star Wars <laughs> Visions. Completely yeah, different yeah, non-canon yeah. thing. <laughs> um, did you have any other notes? Nope, that's all I got. Um, I only have a couple notes, and some of them I've already said. Um, I love the moment when the Tuscan boy gives Bobo's water to his dog. Like that is just such a burn, and I love that. I love that child. <laughs> well, he does it. He also does it in the like modern, like it's the the pouring out of forty to your homies thing, where you just sort of hold it at arm arm's length without looking at it and just sort of dump it on the ground and just sort of, but it was also a little bit of the, like making eye contact with somebody while you do something that just says, fuck you. Yeah. It was a, just a great, 
visual that and that's one of the great things what why i like this whole storyline so much is it's very star wars as you have to tell the story visually because nobody understands each other's languages mm-hmm. so you have so like these characters have to communicate through you know body language and and it's great it's just great and that's a nice segue into my final note is the visual storytelling especially uh-huh. the the scene in particular was the whole thing with the swoop gang um it really informs a lot about why boba is doing things like he's watching this atrocity of this of these people who's just minding their own business being terrorized by these raiders who are beating them up and taking their water sort of looking like young uncle owen and stuff too sort of like you know you sort of pushing those buttons, you know, you can you, like to the viewer, the viewer looks at it and it, and it reminds them of like Luke and your, your, his aunt and uncle getting, getting, uh, yeah. Murked. And then, uh, so it, it like, so like, this is very much like why Boba is doing everything because Boba used to, but I shouldn't even say used to Boba is a terror himself. And, we're starting to see, like, that scene didn't have to be in the show, but it does a lot of informing of why he's doing stuff, because he's seeing this corruption on Tatooine. He's seeing these people being terrorized, and he wants to stop it. And he doesn't want to... And, of course, it's foreshadowing, because it's the swoop gang that kills off the Tuscans, which I'm mad about. But he... It is a lot of informing of why Boba is doing what he's doing. Um, without saying anything, it's all just playing out in front of them, and you can see the look on on like Tim or Tim is great. Like tomorrow Morrison is great in that scene because you can see he's getting pissed, but he can't do anything about it, and it, it's just really giving context to why he's doing everything. So I just I really liked that scene. That's all I have. Though I, I actually I had a thought of like, well, the people are knocked out. Why don't they go fill up their water pots? I had a thought. I was like, that's a horrible thought, Hope, because they're knocked out and then they would they wouldn't be any better than the swoop gang. <laughs> but I did have that thought. I was like, there's a running fountain out front and the people are unconscious. Go get their water. I was like, yeah, no, and- that's that's not the point. <laughs> anyway, that's all I have. Did you have anything else? I do not. All right, Chris, score it up for me. I love this episode. It's got some got some funk in it, but this whole this 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 whole se- this whole show has some some. Uh, it's a good less funk. so in these early episodes, but it has some you know w- wonkiness or whatever. But I I just love it. I love the I love the way it it tells its story, and I gave it a nine point five. It's a great. It's just a. It's it, like. I never would have thought like a Boba Fett series would be this, this like to my liking. And I, I really like this, this open, it's a, it's a, it's a great way to open up the, um, the whole series. And I know people were like, just hating the way that they were telling the story with, they did not want it to, they wanted it to be linear. They did not want to have it have the they they were just not into the flashbacks and and flashbacks are not usually a thing in star wars but you know what it really works here and i i like it i like them telling the story this way 
I think it works. I think it's a it's a a a a, a great way to to tell to tell a story anyway, you know. Yeah. And I think it works really well in this. So Chris, can you see my score? Yes. Watch this. <gasps> Bam. Oh. <laughs> because Ooh, I the more I think it up. It, yeah, the more I, I was thinking it about up. it is yeah, well, not even that. Like just as we were talking, I'm like, I could have no, lowballed this. It was me. I did it. I talked her up, guys. No, yeah. like, cause, cause as I was like listening and as we've been talking, I was like, I did kind of lowball the score a little bit. And I think I did it originally because I wanted to give myself wiggle room, but like really honestly, like knowing how I came out of the series, I do feel like the beginning is strong. So it was a nine. This, and this might be my favorite episode. We'll see. I don't know. The train episode is pretty. It has some stuff in I it. Really, I love. I really love the next episode too. Um, originally I gave it a nine, but I agree with Chris. It's a nine point five easily. Yeah, like it's a it's solid a opening episode. There is. It does a ton of work setting up the rest of the series. It continues the work from the Mandalorian. It shows why Din and Din and Boba are foils and why they're both on this journey. I love all the stuff with the Tuscans and developing their culture. Yeah. I love the Harryhausen monster. Like it just yeah. has. I'm fully fully entertained by this episode. And also, the thing that I always want more of in Star Wars is aliens, and there's a plethora of ones. We have Gamorians oh. and Twi'leks and Aquilish and and uh, Trandoshans. Like I and we're getting we're getting huts next week. Like it just has. Oh so... God, I forgot how awesome the huts are in this. Oh right? dear God, that's right, that's right. I I think that's oh, next that's right. week. I think that's it's next soon. Week. It's soon enough. Yeah, that's a just a yeah some visual sumptuousness. Yeah, so like it has so much of stuff I love in Star Wars, and I again I never thought I would say that for a Boba Fett show. So I also give it a nine point five. It is yeah. so fucking solid. So yeah. Well, as always, we would love to hear your feedback on iTunes, Twitter, or on the Two True Freaks Facebook page. This week, our feedback comes from our Mandalorian episode, The Heiress. Take it away, Chris. All right. And this one comes from Diego Lemus. And it's now it's my turn to work this week. Um, uh, once again, as you know, I, I memorize every every single uh, letter we get and to uh, repeat it back on the show. So here's the one from Diego Lemus. He says, uh... I think I made, and this is from the Eris, yeah, I think I made a comment once about how I don't like the concept of Mandalorian culture, or at least how they are portrayed. They are supposedly the greatest warriors of the galaxy, but they constantly lose and lose hard, or is revealed that they are being controlled all along by a Sith and never had any real agency on their actions or the war at large. All this comes from the old EU, but all seems, but it seems the new canon is going the same direction. I think the the Mandalorian's reputation is all from the past and like when we catch them it's just like we catch the jedi in the original trilogy on the on the downslide by the way what goes up must come down by the way that's chris's thing not diego's that's that's yeah that's me commenting on diego anyway back on 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 the diego i don't i don't have any idea what diego's voice is so i can't do diego's voice so I'll, i'll 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 say when i'm when i'm editorializing here in the future (laughs) okay and uh here's a piece of trivia about the old eu that exemplifies what i mean spoilers if disney chooses to go this way 
the tang, the tang, I'm guessing, T-A-U-N-G, the species that created the Mandalorian culture, that, that does sound like a violent warlike culture too, the tang, were exile, exiled from their planet after losing a war they themselves started with the other species, they started with the other species of that planet. Stumbling between the planets, they found Mandalore and the Mythosaur, a sacred beast, which they later drove to extinction. Nice. Nice, Tong. So there's, they're already setting up some bad karma. This is Chris. They're already setting up some bad karma for the Mandalorians. If you're starting to connect the dots, this means that Mandalore is not some sort of promised land for warriors, but more of a twi twisted prison world for warmongers. They double down on the thing that made them lose their first world and turn Mandalore from a forced world to a deserted one. And nobody in the writer's team seems to notice the potential of that story uh, thread. Or they're saving it. Well, I lied. I lied. They did notice it because Satine is the answer to that particular story thread. But the plot treats her reforms of Mandalorian society as something bad and to be ridiculed in the correct way of Mandalore as a warrior, even though that way leads them to constant failure. Well, I think they portray the Mandalorians as thinking that way, as being resistant to her change. But I don't know if they portray it as being negative. It's just her reaction to it is <laughs> is staunchly negative. That was Chris. Okay, back to Diego. All this comes from Legends. Again, Clone Wars is technically part of the old canon where the writers preferred to go with the easy greatest warriors in the galaxy, and I hope the new ca canon doesn't fall into it. Me too. I like how this show, and specifically in this, in the last episode, everyone is like, all Mandalorians are honorable warriors. And I am here like, no, they aren't. They are zealots of their culture, but not honorable. Pretty sure that they committed a couple of not so honorable genocides in the clone Wars shows yes true but that's the language of those like society like you know i i think of them like the romans or something like that this is chris speaking you know where where you know people would say oh the, the romans are this but if you look into them you're gonna find yeah you're gonna if you scratch the myth you're gonna find the the greasy stuff underneath it's like okay, a really back sticky to Diego. scratch and stiff, sniff sticker and then we have Bo-Katan, which is a character I love, but a person I don't like. Yep, that's... Yep. <laughs> yep. She literally doesn't care for honor as long as someone she supports is in power. I will never let go of the fact that she, was, as a member of Death Watch and second in command, should know about the plans of Pre Vizsla to kill her sister. I always wondered about that, to be perfectly honest. I'm like, do yeah. you not know what's going on? Like, that, that yeah. always felt like a weird storyline. So I fully agree with that. And I kind of yeah. hope we get that in season three of her just being like, I was hoping to save my sister or harm her. I, I, I don't know. Like, to see how they approach that. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wondered about that. She only cares when the one to dethrone her sister is not pre, but Maul. Uh, speaking about that, remember how one of the institutions that they, Death Watch, wanted to bring back was the trial by combat, and she totally disregards the result of the fight because it is not a Mandalorian, the one that wins, which makes her some sort of supremacist. Remember, the first six seasons of the Clone Wars were and technically still are part of the old EU in which uh, non-Mandalorians could partake in trials by combat and win. P.S. I love the complexity of her character so much because she is technically a hero but does villainous things and nobody calls her on it. I guess fate does because the poor woman never gets arrested. Every time it looks like she's got got it, something happens to the Republic. You know, something happens, be it the Republic turning into the Empire, the Purge of Mandalore, or some random 
some some rando getting a sword and then she returns <laughs> to square one. Yes, that is true. That is a perfect like summary of Bo-Katan's story arc is some rando yeah, that's gets a, sword. <laughs> a rando gets a sword and she's suddenly back on square one. Well, mine is yeah. so crumbly. Our candy this week from our wonderful friend Some tart with a sword. Yes, tart with a sword. Um so if you don't know Oh my god, Chris, please edit this out. I am blinking. Who sends us our candy? That's Dario. Dario! I was going, my brain kept going Diego, and I'm like, it's not Diego. <laughs> We've been talking about Diego for the last 10 minutes. Yeah, so. please edit that out. Um, <laughs> There's a way I'm editing that out. See that, Dario? She doesn't even know who you please are. Please edit. I know my brain just like stopped, like heart stopped. I'm it's because pleased. you don't have enough candy in your system to but- fuel your brain. But our you friend, don't have enough glucose in your brain. But our friend Dario sends us candy from all over the world to review. And this week it comes from Israel, but we can't read the wrapper because it's in Hebrew. <laughs> so, it says, mine is so crumbly. Uh, mine, has been, mine has been completely destroyed by crumbles. Okay. Um, it's good. It's a soft Kit Kat. It's a waffer. Mm-hmm. I really love waffers like this. Yeah, this is very much like the little Debbie waffers. Mm-hmm. Mine got decimated, so it's Mine's decimated and crumbles, so I'm like having to eat it like over my desk so I don't get it on my floor. Mm-hmm. I was at the grocery store and I can't remember, but there were some interesting new um, Kit Kat flavors floating around that I saw. I recently had a blueberry pie Kit Kat. It was a limited. That's edition. the one I saw. Blueberry pie. How was my it? My God. It is so fucking good. It is so okay. good, Chris. Get, like, go buy it. It is so good. I wanted to buy it, but then I felt bad because I'm like, I'm going to be like, blueberry pie, Kit Kat, hope, and no. you're going to be like, I'm in Georgia without my blueberry pie, Kit Kats. I, I blame the man at CVS because I was at a CVS and I was at the counter and the guy was like, I'm sorry, ma'am. I'll be there in a minute. So I was standing there for like a full like 60 seconds just staring at the blueberry pie Kit Kats. And he finally comes over and he's like ringing up my melatonin and he's like, do you need anything else? And I just kind of reach over and I get it. I'm like this. And he's like, huh? And he's like, yes, I did it. I got another sale by making him wait in front of the blueberry Kit Kats. That's essentially what he said. He was like, sorry, it took me so long. Is he wrong? it up. And I was like, no, no, you knew what you were doing. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. stared at them for way too long. It is go buy one, Chris. The blueberry pie Kit Kats are so fucking good. I will. Mm. So is this Don't waffer. have to tell me twice. This is really good. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. Thank you, Dario. Chris, please edit that out. Then I forgot Dario's name. I had, I had a flat-out brain ah, fart. Ah, no way. <laughs> I had a flat-out brain fart where I was just like, his name's not Diego. Oh, he, he's going to love it. Dario knows you know who he is. Dario knows. He can feel, he can feel your, your love. I just, I just had a existence. I had just the biggest brain fart just now. Like my brain was just hard stopped, and I was like, "Listen, when you're talking, when you're talking to people like me and Dario, our age, we know all about those brain farts." I had like three of them during the shows where I'm like, "You know that word, hope that thing for the that word for the thing." <laughs> Spectrum. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's one of them. Yep. <laughs> that was really good. I needed that. Well, do you have anything else, Chris? 
I don't. I have nothing else for this. I'm done with it. Cool. Well, 9.5. Where can people find you? You can find me at 2 That was very threatening. 9.5. 9.5. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 9.5. You got a problem with that? Okay. I didn't think so. You can find us at 2TrueFreaks.com. <laughs> That's our podcast website page where we have all our podcasts. Understand? And you can go see them and listen to them and check them all out. If you have like a few years to catch up on them, you know, catch up on all our podcasts and get back to us. Also, if you want to see what's up on Two True Freaks, we got a Facebook page called the Two True Freaks podcast page where we post up all our episodes. And we have the Two True Freaks Cantina, which is the place to go and chit chat because we don't allow any idle chit chat on the Two True Freaks podcast page proper understand and yeah also if you <laughs> also if you're uh you're uh thinking of uh checking out two true freaks on some other social media we are also on the beloved twitter and our tr- our two true freaks twitter page is run by gene gene the working at home machine gene i know this is two weeks late but please be safe with the hurricane. I know it's heading your way, so please be very safe. And I know this is like two weeks late, but I'm thinking about you. Batten down the hatches, Gene. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. So, we'll, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, that was a little dark. I, uh, that's I, where they can, <laughs> that's I, where they can find me. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's really on my mind. Like, a lot of our guests are in the path. Like, Mark oh, from my, my our, housemate's parents are in the path of it. Yeah, like my mom, three of my sisters, my brother, like ten of my nieces, my nephews, Candace, who was in our Kane and Death episode mm-hmm. of Rebels, Mark, who was in our Orca and Flicks episode of Resistance. Like, a, like a lot of our friends of the show are are, are there are in the patoon. Of course, Gene as well. I'm like, I'm, I'm just thinking about them, and I know this yeah. is gonna be two weeks late, and they're probably all gonna be fine by the time everyone's listening. But I, I'm just thinking about them a lot, so. Um, anyway, you can find yeah, Jacob. Now that I bummed out the show, um, you can Jesus. find me. I'm sorry. I I love our friends, Chris, and my family. Don't at me um, on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> but the rest of you can at me on Twitter at Jacob and Jedi because that I run our Twitter account. That's where you can find us. You can also find me at Hope Molinex on Twitter. I am also a contributor for Dork Side of the Force. I've, I Now that Andor is running, um, I've been writing a lot of Andor pieces. Like, I recently just wrote a piece about how the Corpos are the mall cops of the, of the galaxy. And you actually, I wrote a lot about my own experiences with mall cops because I worked retail for 15 years. And about our, like, super secret retail network to get around the mall cops and their bullshit. So it was a really fun piece to write. And I've also written about Cyril Karn. And and all sorts of things. So I'm writing a lot of Andor stuff right now. So go check it out at Dork Side of the Force. You can also find me at For Light and Dice, which is a tabletop RPG where I play a character named Gauze. It's set in the High Republic. We are officially launching this this week, so it's definitely out by now because we're launching on October 2nd with our first two episodes. I'm very super excited. And go check us out there because I love my baby and I've listened to the first episode and it's hilarious. So go check out for Light and Dice as well. So very proud of it. All right, Chris. 
So next week, come back and listen to us as we're going to be talking about the tribes of Tatooine. And we're going to get to see some huts. <laughs> ah, so good. So the good. Mouse, the mouse. The mouse that he oh, as his little... That's right. The womp rat. I have the photo crop saved of the mouse just screaming in pain. I, on my, oh, on no, my it's phone. a hoojib. No, that's a hoojib. That's right. It's a hoojib. Mm-hmm. It's a hoojib. Oh, my God. I was rooting for that hoojib to be, be a character. Please, 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 Rodriguez and Favreau and Dave Filoni. Is Chrysanthemum really? Oh, I think what Chrysanthemum's next week as well. Really? He's in it that early? He is. Black Chrysanthemum's next week as well. That Wookiee's <laughs> fucking hot. To, to quote my friend. <laughs> no. Well, jeez. No. Okay. No, no, no. I'm going to quote my friend. Um, my lovely friend Emma from Pink Milk Podcast dropped one of the best lines ever talking about Black Chrysanthemum. And she said, he can absolutely destroy my lady garden. Oh, dear and, God. And I'll never forget that. <laughs> and I agree. He can destroy my lady garden. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> oh, Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled... T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. I am Boba Fett. The ship you seek is nearby. They are here, friend, and growing more powerful.